Hey everyone, my name is Bobby Mitchell and I'd like to welcome you to Movie Changeup, the show where we compete and pitch reboots to movies. However, these aren't just any reboots. Competitors are given seven rules and must apply one to each movie. This week we're returning to our forgotten movie series with episode number two. Uh, I won the first episode a couple weeks ago and this time we flipped roles. Uh, my competitor last week is now the consultant judge. Why don't you introduce yourself? That's you, Tristan. <laughs> Oh, uh, Tristan uh, seems muted right now, so. Um, <laughs> that would be the problem. Good start, guys. Great episode, guys. It was nice being here. Uh, yeah, coming back from my loss against Bobby last week, so we got to work together this time to hopefully judge these two who got the judges last week, so I'm very excited to get my revenge on these two guys. Uh, can't wait to hear what they come up with for these movies. I really like some of the movies you picked this week. Yeah, me too. I'm pretty excited. Um, our first competitor, uh, well, actually, both our competitors are co-creators of the podcast. Um, this one hosted last week, and you should know both of them by now. But, Joe, how about you tell us how you're feeling first and what it's like to be on the other end of these forgotten movies? I'm feeling pretty good. Like, some of these movies I've heard about here and there. I took a film class in college, and we watched a couple of them. But for the most part, I had no background in any of these movies. So it's it's good to, like, watch these movies for the first time to write pitches for them. So. Sounds good. All right, our other competitor, also a co-creator. Um, Johnny, how are you feeling? How confident are you with your pitches this week? Well, I'm Johnny Dupe, and I'm always confident, baby. That's part of the shtick. So I'm going to crush Joe like a grape. I'm wearing my Allen Iverson stepping over Tyron Lue shirt to represent what I'm going to do to Joe today, um, Even because mainly because I couldn't find my Hot Love t-shirt. Um, but... You know, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to compete. Uh, I'm actually a huge fan of a lot of these movies, um, and I've seen all, all of them. So I'm happy to. I was happy to kind of, you know, rediscover my love for for a couple of them while researching. Sounds good. Before we get going, make sure you guys subscribe to us on all your podcasting uh, networks and give us a five star rating, no matter how good you think we are. Especially to the one person watching right now, please do that as you're watching. Um, <laughs> and uh, us out, Bobby. Don't, don't hey, mention that. When this through. show blows up, that's going to be lost in the past. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it'll, it'll get better. We'll, we'll gain more even through this episode, I'm sure. Um, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and read off the movies. And then, Tristan, once I'm done, if you're ready to read the rules, and then we'll get started. Yes, I am. All right. So today we are doing Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy, the movie from 2003, The Heart of England from 1991, The 27 Club from 1994, Hot Love from 1979, Beneath the Brush from 1956, The Last Commandment from 1989, and The Woodsman from 1932. And Tristan, what rules do we have today? All right, we have seven rules to go along with those movies, and there's some interesting ones here. The first one is that you must only use dead actors. Second is that one must be a John Hughes movie. The third is one must include Tommy Wiseau. Always fun. Oh, yeah. The fourth... Yeah. Uh, Tommy adds something to every movie. Uh, the fourth, you must resurrect a director's career. That could include Tommy Wiseau. The fifth, you must have a twist ending. The sixth, you must include a character made famous by Nick Cage. And seven, must one must be a Christopher Nolan movie. All right, sounds good. And Joe won the toss before we started uh, and would not tell us what he was shoot- picking first. So what do we got and who's going first? Uh, I think we're going to go over to The Woodsman from 1932 first, and I'm going to go first. Okay. Let's, I'll give you a little breakdown on that classic. Uh, the Woodsman from 1932 received a 72% on Rotten Tomatoes. 
This universal horror gem tells the story of a group of travelers whose tour through the wilderness turns deadly when they're attacked by the terrifying woodsmen. Pretty simple uh, concept. Um, so, Joe, yeah, why don't you give us your pitch? All right, I'm going to start with my rule. The rule that I use is I made this a John Hughes movie. So that's my director is John Hughes. Uh, my woodsman is Randy Quaid, who... Uh, uh, and I also set this movie because it's a John Hughes movie. This movie was set and made in the year 1990. So uh, my woodsman, like uh, Johnny said last night in our text, is the best Quaid, Randy Quaid. Uh, my dad of the, the only good Quaid. Yeah, my the the dad of my family is uh, John Candy. The mom of my family, the very underrated Julie Haggerty from uh, Airplane, What About Bob? And she was also in that uh, recent Disney Plus Christmas movie, Noel. My daughter of the family, Leah Thompson. Uh, the son of my family is going to be Macaulay Culkin. And then the daughter's boyfriend is going to be played by Kevin Bacon. And so it's like a similar of the first movie where it's a family. But I changed it up because in the original it was the daughter and her husband. And now I made it the daughter and her boyfriend. And so the plot, a workaholic father decides to take his reluctant family on vacation, including a stressed out housewife, his high school senior daughter, her college sophomore boyfriend, and his weird, awkward son who doesn't shut up. On the way up the California coast, they hit a deer and go off the road. A weird man in a beat up truck pulls over in the rain to help. It's played by Randy Quaid. However, their car won't restart, so he offers to take them to the gas station to use the phone. The rain knocked out power to the gas station and they're closed. So the man decides to take them to his house. They sit inside and he gets weirder and weirder. The mom notices there are no doorknobs on the inside of the doors and he leads the family down in the basement saying he has bear cats down there that he can carry up to stay the night. The woodsman goes upstairs to grab something real quick and shuts and locks the door. The family has to work together to stay alive. The boyfriend and dad eventually work together to kill the woodsman as the son, daughter, and wife escape. In the final moments, the woodsman kills the dad, allowing the boyfriend to escape, which is a twist on the original because in the original... The uh, husband dies as the dad gets away, and that's like the final moment of the dad realizing that the uh, his daughter's husband was a good man and he wasn't the loser that he thought he was. And so my thought process behind making this a John Hughes movie is uh, John Hughes didn't really direct the National Lampoon vacation movies, but he did write the earlier ones. And so my movie would start off with a similar tone to those movies. It's about a family going up the California coast on vacation but it would quickly turn into a slasher horror movie that was popular in the eighties. And so uh, that's my pitch for the woodsman. All right. That's an interesting take. Uh, not, not what I was thinking for that, but Hey, it sounds pretty, pretty good. Uh, Johnny, what, let's hear yours. Yeah. I got some stuff to say about that. You Those always have something to over say. there. I always got something to say, but I'm going to do what you really should have done with this movie, which it's a horror movie. I'm not, I'm not watching this to see John Candy in a family film. So what I'm doing is I'm uh, making this. Uh, my director is Panos Cosmatos, who did uh, Mandy and Beyond the Black Rainbow. I just watched Mandy last night, and that movie is incredible. Um, in my movie, screw the family aspect, okay? No one wants to see a family aspect in a horror movie. I'm going with uh, four teenagers going out in the woods uh, camping and getting attacked. So my four teenage leads are Maya Hawk uh, from Stranger Things. Um, and once upon a time in Hollywood, um, Owen Teague, uh, who is in it, um, Chloe Grace Moretz from let me in and neighbors Two and a bunch of movies, um, kick ass. And then Ashton Sanders, who 
probably most famous for his role as the younger Chiron in Moonlight in the middle um, segment or the beginning segment. I forget which one, but um, so it's teenagers uh, in the woods. Um, they go on a camping trip in what are known as the most haunted woods in the world. Soon uh, they soon discover why these woods are haunted. And this is not just a legend. Um, they are attacked by an evil woodsman who is half human and half nature. He controls everything in the woods and the forest. Um, the teenagers end up finding a secluded hut in the woods and meet a man known as Red Miller, which is Nicolas Cage's character in Mandy. Um, they discover quickly that Red is their only chance to survive, um, and uh, they must fight back against the woodsmen and all the horrors of the woods using the weapons um, that Red Miller has uh, at his uh, in his secluded uh, area. So. My role, obviously, is usually a character made famous by Nicolas Cage, um, and that's uh, that's my movie. It's going to be four teenagers that get haunted by the woodsman, which the woodsman I have played by um, Ron Perlman. I want to see him do something kind of villainous. I, I like his his uh, personality and act for, for the character, and it's going to be psychedelic, supernatural like Mandy. Um, but with a, a little different tone, it's going to have it's more of like a higher budget movie um, than than his first two films for my director. So that's that's what I'm going for. OK, pretty interesting. I have a question to start and then I'll have Tristan uh, add on. Um, but so the original Woodsman, the creature had an axe arm and a chainsaw arm. And it seems like you both kind of changed that. Uh, Joe, so why'd you go with kind of a normal person? And Johnny, why'd you change kind of his, his power set, I guess? Yeah, I'll, I'll start. I'll say basically. I felt like for uh, John Hughes movie, a more realistic. So I know he did like weird science, but other than that, his movies are pretty much straightforward, more realistic. And so I wanted to go more in that vein, be more, a little bit more in his wheelhouse since he is branching out a little bit with a horror movie. So instead of just a chainsaw arm and an axe arm, he just wields an axe in one arm and it wields a chainsaw in another arm. And so that's really the only big gotcha. change I have. But other than that, he's pretty much exactly like the woodsman from the original. Okay. Johnny? I wanted mine to have more supernatural powers and control elements of the woods, similar to like Evil Dead, because mainly my guy wielding the axe and the chainsaw are going to be Red Miller. He does it in Mandy. Those are his weapons of choice. That's what we're going to have him do in this. So it's still going to be an homage to the original because those are the weapons that he uses, but it's going to be flipped on it. It's the good guy character that's helping the kids using those basically same weapons. Okay, pretty good. And, and Tristan, do you have anything to add? I do have a question for you guys. Uh, so in the original, like Universal likes to do, they tried to add sympathy for the character, and they made they did that by having the woodsman have a sort of a love story with a witch who lives in the woods. Uh, so did you have the witch in the story, and did you have any kind of love interest for the woodsman in your story? Um, yeah, I'll start on that. I, I, I think that part kind of made the original fall apart a little. So instead of actually having him in love with a witch... He's going to be part tree, and it's going to have initials with a heart carved into it. <laughs> Sorry. One second. Um, I'm just looking at Bobby, who cannot <laughs> control himself over I, there. I choked on my pop <laughs> as Tristan said that, and it kind of all came together into, like, one choking laughing. Well, Bobby's face turned about as red as Tristan's sleeves. So, um, okay, so Ron Perlman's woodsman, he's going to be part tree, and he's going to have um, the initials. Um carved in with a with a heart on him so that represents his love for the witch and you don't really get like um the story of that you just get like hints and teases at it like he was obviously a man in love that's why he decided to just 
protect this forest because the witch was was killed there. So that's why he haunts it. Okay. The two guys fight it out. Oh, I, I don't get to tell my whole witch. Story. No, answer the question. Answer we the question. Really I want to hear. All right. All right I, yeah. So my yeah. my whole thing is the reason that John Candy and his family get kidnapped is that the mom Julie Haggerty looks exactly like the woodsman's like girlfriend that left him. Like there's a picture and it's like not Julie Haggerty, but it almost looks like. Remember, it looks like it could be her sister or someone that looks exactly like her and. He claims and he calls her, oh, she was like this weird person that has magical powers, but it's probably just that he's crazy. And so basically that's why they're kidnapped is his girlfriend, that the mom looks just like his girlfriend. And it enrages him. Because he tries to make advances on her too, and the mom's like, yeah, I don't want any part of this. Interesting. All right. Well, now you guys yeah. can fight it out. Yeah, now that you guys yeah, I'd like to see that. Yeah. Yeah. My thing with Johnny's is his goes so far away from the original. The original is very clearly about a group, a family, and his, and I kept mine about a family. His is just like weird four travelers and this weird wooden monster that has nothing to do with the original. And I feel like fans of the Woodsman, the diehard fans of the Woodsman, are going to go into his movie and not even think it's supposed to be related to the original. Except that's not true at all because you have John Hughes directing a horror movie. What the hell is wrong with you? John Hughes yeah. directed eight movies, and the closest thing I guess you could say to anything you pitched that he did was like the Mutant Bikers and Weird Science. And Weird Science is probably his worst movie of the eight movies he directed. So I don't think John Hughes' follow up um, to like planes, trains, and automobiles and um, Uncle Buck are going to be the woodsman and go back to a horror movie. Yeah, okay, in the original movie, there's a family. You know how many different versions of all these monster movies that there have been? There's, they always change the initial characters. All you have to do is get the actual monster right, and I'm going to update it, make it more scary, and put some more stakes in it. I don't give a shit about your family and your movie because it's going to be National Lampoon's Vacation, then all of a sudden it's a horror movie. Your tone doesn't make sense. My tone works throughout. My characters work. My woodsman is a better version of the woodsman. Like, if I go see the wolfman... I'm not like, oh, this doesn't pair up to the original because of the other characters. I'm going to see the fucking Wolfman. Yeah, my thing against, my defense for that is John Hughes, comedy director. Comedy and horror are very similar where it's all set up. Then why did he never make a horror movie? Because he only directed eight movies. Why did you think he was a fit for this? Because he only directed eight movies and he can branch out. And then he just stopped making movies. He could have continued. His like last movie was Curly Sue, which was like fine. It's not like he ended on just a string of terrible movies. He had good movies left in him. And a movie that's very similar to movies he worked on before, very similar to movies he wrote. And it's, you know, the tropes he set up in his own movies turned on its head would be a perfect continuation for his career. Except it, it doesn't because this is just shoehorning in a rule that doesn't even work for your movie because – John Hughes, I mean, yeah, he only directed eight movies, but he's also written a ton of movies. He's been writing movies his whole career. He has never written or showed any interest in producing anything relating to horror in his career, nothing that relates to your film. It's such a bad fit. I'm not interested in your movie because it just, it it wouldn't exist. Like, I just, I'd much rather see an up-and-coming horror director do something wild and crazy than a comedy director who wrote like drill bit taylor and made it yeah like 15 years like, after this movie would have come out yeah how but many like, directors go on and then 15 years later the career starts to fall off this would have been right at 
right in so, the middle of his writing career when he was still yeah, putting yeah your idea of this horror movie is the guy in the middle of writing home alone decides to direct a, which a horror movie which is going to be so scary with the, the crazy original neighbor movie, you keep talking about your movie matches up to the original but this was one of the first like real horror movies that actually scared people you know you didn't have a lot before that randy and, can't be scary and creepy and weird Randy Quaid can be weird, but like you're not afraid of him in a John Hughes movie. He's it's going to come off as if John Hughes really made your movie, the woodsman is not going to be any scarier than um, you know Joe Pesci, who can also be weird and scary in movies. Look at Goodfellas, but, but he was intending for a comedy the, family movie. For that. He was not intending for a horror movie. Yeah, but he never intended to ever make a horror movie. So I just your so tone is all over the place. It's too much. Yeah. yeah. Unless you guys have some final points, Tristan and I are, I think, probably on the same page in this one, um, pretty heavily leaning one way. So then if you have, like, one final argument. Uh, I mean, my main thing, too, I didn't really talk about my movie. I really loved Mandy. Um, I rewrote my entire pitch to base it off yeah. of basically, you know, have a similar character and do a style like Mandy because it's new, it's original, it's it's something that doesn't really match up. In Mandy, you literally have a chainsaw and a big axe that he fights with, and it reminded me of The Woodsman, so I wanted to make that my new Woodsman movie. Yeah, to me, mm-hmm. his movie just seems like, hey, it's Mandy again, which we've already seen. Which is cool, which is dope. All right, like Mandy and, um... by the guy that directed Mandy, or you could just watch Mandy. All right, Tristan, uh, why don't you give your opinion first, and I'll kind of make the final ruling, but I'd like to hear what you have to say. Yeah, I think that John Hughes could have been an interesting fit, but I just don't think he worked with the movie that Joe was pitching. He was trying to pitch it as, oh, it's faithful to the original, and then he threw in like a comedy director. I think if he tried to go more for like, oh, it's a family comedy or something like that, I don't know. It just didn't fit with John Hughes to be the right director for this. I think that the Mandy director is a really good choice. I think uh, Mandy fits in this kind of like crazy, zany, like forest cult world, and I think when you want to bring the woodsman back from 1932 to 2020, you want to make it be that sort of like new crazy or like folk horror, you know, midsummer kind of inspired folk horror. So I'm leaning more towards a lot more towards Johnny's on this one. Yeah. I'm feeling the same. I don't, I just don't think John Hughes was a great fit for this one. Um, I actually did like your pitch for the woodsman character a little more than Johnny's, but his fits the movie he was going for. Um, and just keeping it a horror movie, I think was just the way to go for this one. So I'm going with Johnny and Johnny is going to be up one, nothing. Damn right. So I think after this, I'm going to go with, ooh, what should I go with? I'm going to go with The Heart of England, and I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to go second. Okay. Uh, I'll give you a little breakdown of that uh, that movie. So The Heart of England from 1991 got a 6% on Rotten Tomatoes. Not a very good one. Uh, in this Razzie-winning action thriller, Roger Moore returns as a spy for the first time since A View to a Kill. A retired agent is brought back by the British government to help bring down a criminal organization that intends to take out the royal family. And uh, so Johnny's going first. Let's hear your pitch. Um, yeah, I I, uh, I wanted to make The Heart of England because I feel like it's the only one that really worked for this role. The Heart of England is going to be directed by Christopher Nolan. Um, and um, I'll do my pitch and then I'll tell you what my my cast is. So my pitch In London, there are a series of crimes almost identical to ones that happened 50 years ago. Um, These original crimes were mainly kept MI6 secrets, and the detailed reports have been lost or destroyed over the years. All MI6 
knows is that there is a terrorist organization behind these crimes and must follow the hunch that they are in fact related to the original attacks. The only person alive with knowledge of the original crimes is a former MI6 agent played by Michael Caine, who has severe dementia and lives in a memory ward. The team of current MI6 agents must use their technology to dive into his memories and discover the clues that will lead them to stopping this new terrorist organization and get to the bottom of these crimes. Um, so my, obviously Michael Caine is going to be the, you know, MI6 agent. They bring back the former spy. Um, my current MI6 team is going to be played by um, Hugh Jackman, Cillian Murphy, Mark Rylance, um, Fionn Whitehead from Dunkirk and Emma Watson. Um, and then my evil organization, like the big bads of the movie, it, the lead is going to be Sean Bean. Um, and then Tom Hardy and Rosamund Pike are going to be with him in that. Obviously, there's some more characters in it, but I wanted to go with um, people that I think would be strong in a, in a Christopher Nolan movie or he likes to bring back a lot of people that he's worked with before. You have to, if you're doing a Nolan movie, you know, I, I like the idea of bringing back an old spy, but the original movie sucks. Like, I'm a huge of You Do a Kill, like, you know, late James Bond fan, but those movies just get so ridiculous. So it was never a good idea to bring him back, um, Roger Moore back for the heart of England. I wanted to change it up a bit, still tie it over, like to the original movie, um, bringing the old spy back, but they're going to do, it's a little different than Inception, but Christopher Nolan with Tenet and um, with uh, uh, Inception, like to have like technology based spy thrillers. And that's what mine is going to be. Okay. Sounds good. Joe? Uh, yeah, I think Johnny and I, we went in very similar directions, but I, I feel like I stuck closer to what the original was and kind of took, hey, this is the original plot. Like Johnny said, the original movie sucks. And I tried to make it as good as I possibly could. And I we used the same rule, my director, Christopher Nolan. And I'll, I'll do exactly what Johnny did. I'm going to give you my plot, and then I'm going to give you my cast. So in my movie, the royal family is very similar to the real world royal family, except they don't have quite the same names. It's not like Queen Elizabeth II, but there is an older queen, and she does have an older son and who has two like middle-aged sons, whatever. And so 20 years after the assassination of the queen, Great Britain has destabilized and collapsed. After her death, she was referred to as the heart of England. Without her, uh, the country died, essentially. Uh, retired British agent Julian Booth has been sent back in time to work with his former self to stop the assassination. He must figure it out. He must figure out who killed her and stop them before it happens again. His MI6 handler mentions that too much damage to the temporal plane can be irreparable and destroy the space-time continuum, so he only has one chance. The movie cuts between present-day Julian working with past Julian and past Julian who is working alone. My plan is for when he goes back in time, he slightly changes one thing, so his younger self gets a small cut on his face. So when you're like cutting between the time periods, you can kind of tell which young which time period you're in. Uh cuts between him working eventually julian using the knowledge he learned the first time and the added knowledge he and his younger self learned the second time figure out who is responsible for assassinating the queen and it turns out it's the queen's own son hired the criminal empire to do it so he could become king sooner and he must stop it before it happens old and young julian get in a shootout with a criminal organization killing them just in time for julian to travel back in time to his present timeline uh my older julian booth is going to be kenneth brana my younger Julian Booth is going to be James McAvoy. The Queen is going to be played by Angela Lansbury. The older prince is going to be Michael Caine. His two sons are going to be played by Fionn Whitehead, who is kind of the lead in Dunkirk. 
and also Killian Murphy. And then the criminal leaders are going to be Gary Oldman is the main one. And then Robert Pattinson and David Giassi. David Giassi was the guy in uh, Interstellar who was left on the ship when they're on the water planet. And that's my pitch. All right. I didn't wasn't sure if you, you guys would use the same rule on that one or not. So this makes it a little challenging. Not like the, not like the obvious choice here. Yeah, I saw this and I'm like, oh well, there we go. Those two nice right no one. literally is England in the name, so <laughs> gotta put no one on it. There and it's go. a spy movie. It's like exactly. Yeah. Um, I guess my only question, I guess it's kind of for both of you because you both chose the same kind of deal as that. So the first one is kind of ridiculed for being so serious, uh, with Roger Moore trying to kind of do something different than he did with his Bond movies. And you both tried kept that tone for this one, even though that was kind of one of the problems. So just kind of address uh, that choice. Um, I, I feel like a serious movie, like obviously Kenneth Branagh has played comedic characters like Gilderoy Lockhart and Hercule Poirot, but he's just as known for playing serious characters. So I feel like it kind of fits his, uh, him and as, a, as an actor more. And it also fits Christopher Nolan more to be a serious movie. So I don't really think it'll be a problem. Yeah. Um, the original one, I mean, I think it could have worked with a serious tone, but you know, Roger Moore is, way too old to be doing all the fight scenes in the originals. It came off even worse than a view to a kill when basically everyone had to fight slowly against him. So I think the serious tone works fine, but you need to cast, you know, people that can actually pull off some action. Mine's not going to have as many like hand to hand style combats and stuff in the, as the original one, but it's going to be more of like the action of, you know, tenant and inception, like Christopher Nolan style action. And, and Joe's, I assume is, is very similar. Yeah. We obviously went with the same director. Yeah. So I think his tone and his action works, works well with the heart of England. All right. Uh, Tristan, anything before they get started? Oh, yeah, I do have a question. I'm going to have Johnny ask this first because Joe answered last, but I'm going to, uh, one of the weirdest parts of the original movie is that Roger Moore was sort of trying to prove himself outside of Bond and he wanted to prove that he was still attractive. So he insisted on having several nude scenes throughout the movie, even the hardcore sex scene. So would you, how would you tribute this? Would you do like any kind of tributes or acknowledgement of this kind of like memeable moment of this old movie or just leave it and bury it? No, because there's a famous story from the reason that Roger Moore decided not to be James Bond anymore is because Alison Doody played a character named Jenny Flex in A View to a Kill. And when they were on set, Alison Doody's mother came to set and met Roger Moore and he was older than her mom. So he was like, I'm way too old to be doing James Bond now. Um, and everyone knows, like, in the heart of England, he was kind of forced into those scenes. He wasn't doing that by choice. Like, he just kind of fell out of the limelight, came back to a movie. They were like, we're going to make you sexy again. But he was never really into it. So I don't think even addressing those things is is great for, for the new film. Joe? Yeah. Yeah, and my thing is, I don't think there's really any nudity or any, like, aggressive sex scenes, but all of, like, the romantic love interest stuff I would give to James McAvoy, who's more the younger version of Julian Booth than the Kenneth Branagh version. So, like, it's more just kind of accepted and fine, and it's not really, like, all oh, this old retired agent and this, like, 30-year-old woman are have romantic scenes. It's 30-year-old agent, 30-year-old woman. Everyone says all right and moves on with the day. Okay. Yeah. So guys, you guys can pretty much just fight it out. Just as you guys fight, just um, maybe get into your plots a little more and why you chose to go in certain directions. Like both are similar to, to Nolan's um, 
some of Nolan's past movies. So kind of say why it would differentiate itself from all those and that. So but you can fight, go wherever you want, but I just want to hear those points eventually. What I, what I want is now to be clear, I haven't seen Tenet yet, but obviously online, everyone was saying, Oh, Tenet and it, like inception, all these movies take place in the same universe. I feel like mine stays yeah, yeah. true to that. Um, but it doesn't, it's not exactly like either of those movies. Everything no one does is like a little different from each other, but I like the idea of having to get, instead of diving into dreams and stuff, I like the idea of trying to dive into people's memories and extract those and try to get clues from them. So what the difference is from inception, they go in, you can control stuff. This is, you can go into different memories and you have these settings, but basically all they're doing is being like, flies on the wall and trying to pick up clues about past scenes. So while Joe's cuts back and forth from past timeline to current timeline, mine will still have a past timeline, but it will be the new characters diving into those moments and trying to, you know, be like investigators basically and figure out why these things are happening. Um, and then obviously the other thing I didn't mention, cause you do focus on the, the evil organization, their main plot line is still going to be to kill um, the Royal family. Just, you don't know that from the start of the, film that's what they reveal and at the end of the movie they have to save the royal family um from the attack yeah and my thing against johnny says he talks about like they go into their memories and they're more just kind of watching the memories i feel like his movie is going to be boring to an in those parts because it's essentially going to just be people passively in a scene watching what happens around them like obviously they'll be looking for clues but they can't they aren't participating really in those scenes where when i'm cutting back and forth all of my characters are still like actively participating in their scenes, trying to find information that can interact with the people around them. They're constantly in danger, all that. And it's still, I still have a lot of the Nolan, you know, tropes of cutting back and forth between timelines. I have the technology of using the time, time machine of when he goes back in time. And I feel like it just fits the Nolan thing more where I feel like going it like obviously in, inception you have the going into dreams but i almost feel like the going into memories is like a weird thing that i don't know if it really fits the christopher nolan style of what he normally does i think time travel is way less christopher nolan than a technology that lets you dive into someone's memories like he doesn't do fucking time travel his last movie movie was about time travel and reversing time his movie interstellar was about time manipulation that movie was all about factors. quantum physics your movie doesn't have like the space and science and it. it's about spies and like if i'm going to see a spy thriller yes like some technology would be cool the the scenes of that but like i don't need him to spew quantum physics at me if i'm going to see a movie about you know a, a, like a spy thriller you know it, it, interstellar i liked it because it's a fucking space movie but your movie, it doesn't sound like it fits. I feel like you're just mixing too much of what Nolan did. I'm trying to stay true to like specific movies um, and specific universes that he set up rather than just like, here's like a bit from Interstellar. Here's a bit from Tenet. Here's a bit from, you know, like all his other random like movies that don't really fit. Like, I don't love the idea of him doing the time traveling with this is the past timeline. This is the current timeline. I like the idea of, yeah, my characters are definitely going to participate in the memories. You know, you said that, but that's not how it's it's going. They're going to go back. They have to figure out in the short amount of time they have for a specific memory because he's still got dementia. So they're going to have to get past like, you know, obstacles of the dreams fading or the memories fading and things like that. 
they have to talk to each other, interact with each other. They're obviously, they can't change the memories in the past, like the dreams, but they're all going to be interacting and figuring out. I like detective movies and that's going to be more of my film when they go into memories, it's going to be detective film. And then when it's like a throwback to like old school noir filmmaking, which Nolan is always said he, you know, is like influential on his work. Um, and I think, um, I think it fits better for mine. I don't think the past timeline, current timeline thing fits for yours. And I'm kind of over any movie that does that anymore. Like when's the last good movie that had a similar plot line to yours? Like, with like back, literally back to the future, like Days nothing else past. has ever worked. Like, yeah, but okay. Days of future past was one that maybe worked a little, but I don't know. I, I just don't see that fitting Nolan's ideas as much as, you know, the, I, I like the idea of Dunkirk was so good because and the whole movie it. was like a ticking clock, you know, like you have such uh tension in it and this will be, they know this attack is coming and they have limited time to kind of delve into the memories and every scene, like if they don't find the right one and they don't find the right clues, the whole movie is a ticking clock. That's what I feel like your movie is missing because my, can my, just, mine is still your movie can just, know can just go back and day. The if, queen your, dies. if your movie, they know when she dies and you can just keep going back and forth through time, there's no stakes. No, my, you know, like I you can just go back in my time. opening thing that too many, if you go to too many points in the same time, if you go keep messing with the timeline. It causes too many rifts in the temporal plane and it fucks everything up and it can ruin the space time continuum. I was originally, you know, in every movie where they use a wormhole, they fold a piece of paper and they poke a pencil through the piece yeah, of paper. And like, that's how it works. Do, my thing was they would take, do in your movie, but he already did that in interstellar. My thing was they take a strip movies of, that have the same analogy. My thing was they take a strip of paper, poke it once Pull on the paper, paper's fine. They poke it 80 times and they pull it apart and they're like, paper's... Oh, paper's wow. Wow, that's real exciting stuff there. I don't need to see another movie from the <laughs> same director who's doing the same fucking scene. Like, you're just pulling bits and pieces from other movies. I think mine fits as an actual original Christopher Nolan movie that still has yours nods just to the original movie. Yours is just Inception, but instead of dreams, it's memories. Yeah, well, what was everyone's big criticism of Inception? It wasn't creative enough because they went into dreams, and no one dreams like Christopher Nolan because that dude's a goddamn statue. But <laughs> in this movie, you don't have that criticism. It's it's similar to Inception, yeah, but it's a way different plot line, way different characters, more interesting leads. I don't need um, just fucking what's-his-nuts um, Cobra Commander why is that the first movie I thought of Joseph Gordon-Levitt in? Um, I don't need him just shouting out, um, you know, like, uh, what's what's the word? When you're just telling everyone the plot. Exposition. Exposition. He's just an exposition machine. I don't need that in this movie. And I don't need them to cry about, well, they should have, like, flying pegasuses if they're in a dream. No, you're going into memories. You still have control over it. You get to explore the past in new creative ways. And it's more of something I feel like no one will do. And if Nolan's last movie, Tenet, is actually about time travel, why the fuck would he make two movies about time travel in a row? Do something new. Because he, all of his movies have been, to, to some extent or another, about time. Well, all of his recent movies, anyway. Interstellar had was influenced by time. Inception, they had time because of different dreams. The time travels differently in each dream. Tenet was about time. Okay, well, I'd argue all of his movies are about memories. Fucking Memento. That movie is about memories and 
losing your memory and piecing things together. I want a movie that's more of a throwback to Memento than a movie that's literally just, here's Tenet again. Like, but you could argue my movie's about memories movies. because it's him remembering stuff from the first time around. Yeah, well, you already argued that your movie was about time. So but different movies things. can be about two things. Yeah, I mean, both their movies right. are about both things. You guys have a different point than that? I get what Not the really. movies are good. I, I think I mean, we fought this one long enough. Yeah. We're yeah. five minutes in, and we're both yeah, yeah. writing essentially the same movie. I, yeah, yeah. But I, mine's better. This one was just better. a little tougher. I wanted to hear a little more, but um, Tristan, do you have any any thoughts on this one? I'm definitely split. I think they both took Nolan in, in interesting directions. I think they both have some of the same problems. I think this is, these are both kind of like big ideas that Nolan would have to give a bunch of explanation of how it works. You know, it would probably oh. be a scene of Justin Gordon-Levitt sitting there telling you how they're going into memories or how they're going into the past. And I don't want Nolan to explain lots of stuff, but that's something that's in both your movies. <laughs> I, have so, one, I have one more, yeah, point, go ahead. one more point because I wrote it down and I completely forgot to mention it. Because you asked about like the love scene and Joe said he has homages because he has a romance in it. Christopher Nolan can't do romance. He can't do love stories. I'm throwing all that shit out. There's just going to be spies figuring out a mission. I don't need shit about love. That was the worst part of Interstellar. I don't need little love stories. That's the worst part of any Nolan movie when he tries to add any bit of that. So that's out of mind. And I feel like Joe's is going to have the same problems as some of the other Nolan movies. Like I love pretty much every Nolan movie, but the worst part of them is always the romantic angle and Joe still has that in his, it sounds like. And I took that. I, I said, out. if there's romance, it would be given to James McAvoy. It's not like romance is this big overarching plot of my movie. Maybe yeah, James McAvoy it's, had it's a never, wife. It's never a big overarching fact of any of his movies, but it always takes away from them. So okay. I don't want any. I get, the, I get the point on that. So uh, does that affect your decision at all, Tristan? Do you have like anything on that? I'm leaning a bit towards Joe on this, just because I think it's a little bit more of a creative use of Nolan. Like, sure, has, he did time travel before, but not in, like, this same way, and I think Johnny's is a little bit too similar to Inception. Yeah. So and I'm leaning slightly towards Joe's, but not not hugely. And that's pretty much where I was. I, I wasn't really... I was kind of 51, 49, but I'm, I'm leaning towards Joe, because Johnny's, although it sounds interesting, and I, it reminds me of, like, the pensive scenes in Harry Potter or something going back, um, it does seem maybe a little bit too passive, and it does seem a little close to Inception, and Joe's is at least to me a little bit more original. So um, I am going to give it to Joe and tie it up. All right, hell yeah. Well, at least that means I get to pick a movie finally. <laughs> um, because I was really worried I would just sweep Joe and never get to go first. Hey, um, I was scared of that too. So you know what? Ooh, do I want to do it? Do it. Do it. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Do it. Do it. Do it. We're going hot love, baby, and I'm going first. It was already on on it. It was already on there. My fucking movie, man. All right. Hot love from 1979 received 16% on Rotten Tomatoes, another gem. Um, In what was set to be director Randall Kleiser's follow-up to a year later after Grease, Hot Love is a 70s musical featuring the hyper-famous glam rock band Pioneer Rex in leading, in leading roles. Hot Love tells the story of fictionalized versions of the band with music-related superpowers who must fight against their villainous counterparts from, the, from an alternate universe. Featuring all original music by the band, Hot Love would a, was a critical and financial flop marking the historical end of glam rock. All right. It's a great movie. What a movie. My guy. I, mean, I love it. It's what I want to give to you. Like, I love the soundtrack to this. Like, you know, it's so great. I, you know, a few years back, we went to Comic-Con. Bobby was there. And I was really tempted to buy 
um, a signed vinyl copy of the Hot Love soundtrack. Oh, I have I've never seen one. And uh, but it was literally like, you don't have a signed one, dude. It cost fifteen hundred dollars when I was there. So uh, you either have a fake one guy. or yeah, I know, I know a guy. Guy. yeah, bullshit. Pioneer Rex, man, they're a good band. I mean, I know they went through some legal trouble after um, after Cypress died. You know, and they got the new lead singer. They tried to reinvent themselves <laughs> in nineteen ninety one. You know, it, it was sad, but you know they tried to reinvent themselves, and they had the big lawsuit with Def Leppard because pour some syrup on me was like a huge, a huge bomb and it ripped off, you know, uh, their song. But, you know, I love the movie either way. Um, so I felt like there was only one way to do this movie. And I will shit all over Joe because he didn't do what I'm doing. This movie is so wild and crazy. You get alternate versions of the band playing each other and stuff. There's only one person fit for this job. <laughs> and that man is Prince. Prince, R.I.P., the GOAT, the greatest of all time, written and directed by Prince. I'm using all dead actors for my movie. Written and directed by Prince. My lead character's name, Nelson Sparks, that's going to be played by Prince. His evil universe twin, that's also going to be played by Prince. His love interest in the movie, Jessica Knight, that's Knight with a K, is going to be played by my girl Whitney Houston, R.I.P. Whitney Houston. Um, my club owner, Scatman Crothers, man. What a, what a GOAT. He's going to own the club. It'll make more sense when I go into my my plot. And then, you know, I want to throw Chris Farley in there just as a crazy fanboy in the stands. He's not going to have much of a of a role, but I just want Chris Farley again, man, just going crazy, loving the songs, jamming out to the songs in the concert. So I should have read that after my pitch, so everything made a little more sense, but here's my pitch. The lead performer at a popular nightclub in L.A., Nelson Sparks, played by Prince, is stuck in the mud performing the same shows night after night. He dreams of winning the heart of club headliner Jessica Knight, a.k.a. the Night Queen, played by Whitney Houston, and he dreams of being a star. One night, he is prepping for a show on the outside balcony of the club when he is struck by lightning. He wakes up in the hospital with Jessica by his side and is told he is lucky to be alive. Um, I didn't mean to leave it in there. He wakes up in the hospital. Jessica's not by his side. I changed some <laughs> things on this. Ignore that. Um, okay, so he wakes up in the hospital. He's lucky to be alive. Nelson is somehow fully recovered in two days and is released from the hospital. When he goes home to find uh, his, he finds his guitar that he was holding during the accident. He strums the guitar and feels the, and feels a power run through him. With every chord he plays, he feels electricity running through his body. The accident has given him superpowers when playing his guitar. Nelson sparks become a huge attraction using his lightning to put on amazing stage shows during his performances. Nelson also is finally getting attention from the woman of his dreams, uh, Jessica Knight. Uh, his, his life could not go any better. Little does he know that the lightning strike briefly opened up a portal to another dimension and an evil version of Nelson has come to his reality. During one of his performances, he, had, is, he is attacked at his show by his evil twin, also played by Prince. Prince is in this movie, guys. He <laughs> must use his musically geared superpowers to save L.A. and the woman he loves from the evil purple-wearing uh, alternate Nelson. And I even made a soundtrack, guys. He's got lightning powers, and it's Prince. This, this is my soundtrack. First, obviously, you got to do, I mean, Hot Love, if you look at any old school glam rock song and you just kind of change the arrangement, everything sounds like a Prince song. It's very sexual. I love it. So Hot Love, we're keeping it. You know, Hot Love is what I'm going to give to you. Hot Love, it's what I need to do with you. We're going with that. We're keeping the same lyrics, but it's going to be a whole different arrangement by Prince, and it works. 
You got Cold as Night. That's going to be Jessica Knight's song. And then you got I Want to Be Your Thunder. You got Electric City. You got You've Got Me Amped. You got Shock the World. You got Hardwired. Girl, You're My Fuse. Overflow. <laughs> That's going to be a great one. You're on my radar. Take me home with you. And my personal favorite, um, I've got my eye on you. And that is <laughs> I-O-N space letter U. So that's my soundtrack. I'm, man, Hot Love is one of my favorites. Prince is the GOAT. Greatest of all time. I want another Prince movie because we only really got three. And I love them all. And I want another one. And we haven't ever seen him with Whitney. So we're going powerhouse. The only person who can perform hot love, Prince, baby. All right. Good luck fucking beating me, Joe. Yeah, that, that's a lot of passion right there. And before we uh, get to Joe's pitch really quick, I just have a comment to show uh, after all that passion. This is uh, Cole. Fuck says you, Cole. <laughs> Cole. Cole. Cole's a little bitch. He won't even he'll fucking come at me. He challenges me weeks and weeks ago and then always backs out of being on this show. Cole, come at me. All right, well, to follow up that passion, Joe, what do you got? All right, so I'm going to start off by saying uh, my director is not Prince. My director is uh, Craig Brewer, who directed uh, Hustle and Flow. He also directed the recent Netflix movie Dolomite is My Name. It's for my cast, because one thing I wanted to stick to is the original Hot Love focused on a fictional version of a real band. And I said, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to make sure I do that, because that's what people loved about the original Hot Love. Kind of like what I did. Yeah, but yours is not about a real band. Yours has Prince. Yeah, mine's about Prince, a real artist who's the greatest. But mine's about a real band. So my cast, the RZA, the Jizza, Inspector Deck, You God, Ghostface Killer, Method Man, Raekwon, Master Killer, and Capadonna, the Wu-Tang Clan. We we all know who the Wu-Tang Clan are. Yeah. Joe, you didn't need to read all of them. I just wanted to make sure. So the movie is inspired by the classic Kung Fu and Samurai movies that inspired the Wu-Tang Clan. The movie follows a fictionalized version of the band called Hot Love that raps during the day and secretly fights crime at night. Uh, Riza and Method Man are the two leads and main focus of the movie since they are the best actress of the group. Uh, They all have martial arts powers similar to Iron Fist because I figured no one really cared about the musical superpowers of the original because no one really understood the musical superpowers of the original. And then as far as my rule, Tommy Wiseau operates as the band's manager, but he is also their sensei that trained them. Oh, uh, the plot of the movie dare is that you. while meditating to increase his power, Method Man's character accidentally opens a portal to a reverse dimension. The evil version of Hot Love, a group of villains, comes to the portal. The good Hot Love must stop the evil Hot Love from taking over the world like they did theirs. The film features all new original music from the Wu-Tang Clan. And that's my pitch. Sounds great. Right. Yeah, Sounds so, so good. What okay. um, yeah, Tristan, do you have any questions? I have one about a particular scene, but uh, you can start us off. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Hot Love, so I'm just excited to see these new takes on it. It's such an underrated movie. I definitely think you guys should Google it and find it. I think it's on Amazon Prime, so just go on your Amazon Fire Stick and look it up on there. Great movie. So much fun. Uh Underrated, 60%, way too low. I I like that Joe used the Sensei character. I I don't know about his casting choice, but I'm, I'm excited to have that character in there. Uh, it's played by Mary Taylor Moore as a cameo in the original, so it's kind of cool to see her show up in Joe's version. I do think Johnny's interesting because he used Prince, uh, but I do like that Joe used fictionalized versions of the bands. 
like real bands. So I'm kind of divided on here. I like both of these ideas, but I do have one question. It's kind of a big question too. Why did you guys remove time travel from the movie? I'll start with Joe on that one. Oh, who says I did? I never, I I only gave a brief explanation of my plot. They actually have to go back in time to get legendary fighters of the past to come back and help fight the evil versions. They get Bruce Lee. They get other just classic fighters. They get, because Joe's movie, his band is incapable of doing it on their own. Prince, on the other hand, can do anything he puts his mind to. My version of the time travel is going to be that the alternate universe Prince is from the future. So he's going to have future technology and shit to, to fight with. But no, we're not going to go back and forth with time like Joe's Nolan piece of shit Heart of England movie. Okay. Um, and the only thing I had is... So the only like kind of moment that people kind of talk about now is uh, when the band's on stage and use their powers to make every woman in the audience climax at the same time. Uh, do you have anything like that? <laughs> I mean, Prince oh, yeah. did that in yeah. real life. Every time Prince played the guitar, you're telling me that at the halftime show when he was playing Purple Rain in the rain with the purple tint, every woman in the stands didn't climax? You're wrong. They did that at every Prince show anyway. That's, so that's, that's why he was such a perfect fit for the role. Because he literally did that in real life, so I took the real version of that scene. That's very fair. In my movie, no one's had orgasms at the Wu Tang Clan. (laughs) (laughs) The Wu Tang Clan can't make everyone in that audience climax, men or women. Then nobody can. That's true too. Every I forgot to mention, every man at that Super Bowl also climaxed. If I wasn't a child at the time, I would have climaxed. Wow. Wait. Okay. All right. At the Super Bowl, I got it. Not when this movie came yeah. out. Okay. Uh, yeah, both. Not alive when this movie came out. Almost climaxed when I saw the members of Pioneer Rex. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I just wasn't sure because that's kind of the scene everyone just kind of puts the gif of up there. And it's just like, you know, anything that good happens. Um, but yeah, you guys can fight it out. Uh, I'm Joe, why, Joe, why don't you go first and give us a little more detail on your movie? It's just so, so hot. So as far as my movie, you know, my, uh, the Wu-Tang Clan, a.k.a. Hot Love, they're crime fighters. They fight crime, but they rap during the day. And they have kind of ninja powers in there. It's basically my movie is a B movie. I was like, that's part of why I picked Craig Brewer. Like the B movie? His movie is Jerry Seinfeld as B. (laughs) Put it on record. (laughs) No, so that's part of why I picked Craig Brewer. Because he directed Dolomite's My Name, a love letter to an old like random basically B movie from I want to say like the late seventies. And so if he can direct a movie, that's a love letter to a a great movie. That's a love letter to a B movie. He can direct a great B movie that also has musical influences. He directed hustle and flow. And so that's kind of why I wanted him. Okay. You know, here's my thing with Joe's movie. Girl, I see you're cold. My love never gets old. No one will interrupt. Come let me warm you up. Hot love. That song, you don't need to change any of those lyrics. If you change the arrangement, that's a fucking Prince song. For Joe's movie to exist for the Wu-Tang Clan, you have to rewrite everything. You can't have any homage to the original. You change the whole soundtrack. It's so different. And I don't you know want the, the la- Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah, exactly. Okay. The Wu-Tang you know Clan the last- is better than remaking a soundtrack. I can't help that Prince only can remake a soundtrack. Okay, and that's what it sounds all, like your Prince movie is. is way better than the Wu-Tang Clan. I love the Wu-Tang Clan. Shout out to Wu-Tang. But you know what happens when the Wu-Tang Clan makes an action movie? You get the man with the iron fist, which you literally said iron fist. That movie was hot trash. 
RZA did the soundtrack to that garbage pile. He, he did, didn't have the rest of the Wu-Tang He clans. produced it. He didn't have them, but I don't need to see it. Method Man is hilarious. And if I'm going to see like, you know, like how high and shit, like I go see that with Method Man, but I don't need to see Wu-Tang Clan learning from Tommy Wiseau how to do karate and, and shit. Like, no, he's his sensei. That's a fucking joke, Joe. That's a yeah, trash it's a B movie. movie. The movies You're... are known for having bad acting. What's better than having Tommy Wiseau as the trainer in a B movie? You. The guy that's How king of shit. How dare movie. you insult the original bad acting guy? First of all, the original is a treasure, and I'm not going to change things up. I got a better soundtrack than you. I got actual powers that fit my movie. I don't need no time one traveling the powers in your movie. Your movie doesn't the make guitar. sense. Dude, he plays What's the guitar the and he can shoot you with lightning. He's like Thor's hammer, but it's a fucking axe. It's Thor's axe because it's a guitar, and it's purple, and he's Prince. Prince is so good, and this is so fitting for him. Bobby already said the orgasm scene. That's my whole movie. Everyone who sees my movie will be climaxing from start to finish. Your movie will be lost in the dust like the man with the iron fist, which literally your movie is a sequel to. Garbage. You, no one, but fans of the original Hot Love are not going to be happy Me? with your movie that because, because they talking love about? the fact that it's about a band. Your movie is not about a band. My movie no. is about a band. About that, yours is about a rap group. That's not a band, dude. It's a That's group a of people. Different thing. NWA was not a band. That is a rap group. That is totally, totally different things. And sticking with someone who could actually shred on the guitar and sing and perform like the band is more important than just having a band, even though yours isn't, and having it change it completely, change the formula, have a rap group do Wu Tang Clan. It's way different. The fans of the original movie are not going to go see your movie. And everyone going to see your movie won't know what the fuck Hot Love even is. They're going to be very very confused when it's called that. I love Hustle and Flow, but I don't see Hustle and Flow and think Hot Love. But when I watch Under the Cherry Moon, I'm like, damn, this should be a Hot Love remake. Because Prince is so perfect for this role. Joe, what color are the fucking uh, little headlines of our... Of our banners. podcast. Our Who came up with the little headlines under Yeah, this? exactly. What color are they? All right. Purple. Since we're, since we're arguing about colors, do you have any final points? Do you have any final points? Final points. What color is My final point is Joe's movie sounds like trash and Prince is the only right fit for this movie. And you get Whitney Houston and Prince producing more music, which the world needs. Joe's only point against my movie that he could have made was no one can kill Prince. He's a god. But, you know, he didn't make that argument. So... My Whatever. point, I guess your movie is the people think the pe- thing people loved about Hot Love was the camaraderie of the band, and yours is one guy. No, no, the people love the soundtrack of the movie, and you changed all of the music completely. And I at least because have I it the title day. song basically just as a print song, which is just an improved version. Take any glam rock song. Take you know we're keeping Pioneer Rex an example. Take Pour Some Sugar on Me, which they ripped off, or Pour Some Syrup on Me because they're from Canada. And you give that to Prince, dude, Pour Some Sugar on Me by Prince with a different arrangement is the most sexual song of all time, and you climax throughout. This is the most I've ever said the word climax. The world is craving a Wu-Tang Clan album, and nope, I'm giving nope, it to them. Nope. The world is craving yeah. Prince, man. Prince is what the yeah, world is. Yeah, because when Martin Scorelli was a Wu-Tang there'd be, Clan album, there'd be, there'd be no pandemic right now. I'm cutting Everything will be great. All right. I feel like right. I... Yeah. Yeah, we, I think we I think we know what we're going. That was enough for hot love. 
Yeah. Um, Tristan, never, there's Tristan's never enough hot <laughs> yeah. I think Tristan's a bigger fan of this movie, so I'll let him make the final call. But for me, I was leaning towards Johnny. I mean, he created a whole soundtrack, um, and I do think Prince is a better fit, and it just it just sounded like a more fun movie. Tommy Wiseau in a B movie with Wu-Tang Clan. That sounds fun. Right. It sounds fun, but I don't know if, if I would like to see that as much as I'd like to see another Prince movie. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm heading, but Tristan, I'll make, let you make the call. Yeah, I like that uh, Joe used a real artist and had like the fictionalized version of the real artist. I think that's an appeal of Hot Love. So did I. So that's, a, that's a good point to them. They're not playing like a fake character. They're playing a real uh, fictionalized version of themselves. But I do think Johnny's Prince pick is just a lot better. I think Prince has that like sex appeal of Hot Love, the original. You know, I watch that oh, movie so all Prince the time. Oh, is not sexy to you? No. You know, not Prince level. You. It's hard to get sexier than Prince. You no know, one has ever been sexier than Prince. Riz he up. definitely brings in that climax energy to Hot Love that I think it needs. <laughs> That's so, baby, that climax energy. As, as a big fan of the original, I'm definitely going for Johnny. I can't wait to see Prince's, Prince make his climax for Hot Love. Dude, you just want to hear I've got my eye on you. You know how fucking proud <laughs> oh, yeah. I was when I wrote all these songs and albums? That was pretty yeah, good. That soundtrack Dude, I wrote out that. basically the entire song of Hot Love. I wrote lyrics. Joe's got nothing on me. All right. And while, while, while you're choosing where we go next, Joe, we got a couple of, of comments here. Um, let's see. We have Cole we again here. Who <laughs> says, Tommy Gunn, bro. <laughs> no one likes Tommy um, Gunn, and how fucking dare you. We, we also have Paul. I mean, they were pretty harsh on Johnny in this round, but I think he did win it. Um, but Paul says, mm-hmm. just because Johnny's passionate doesn't make his pitches better. Well, I mean, I'll tell you the same but, thing I told you last time, Paul. Fuck off. <laughs> I gotta tell our only audience. I gotta stop telling our only audience members when they have three viewers to fuck off. Like Paul, fuck off. You shit on Tristan last week. You're trying to shit on me, bro. Watch fucking Purple Rain and just chill and drink a glass of wine. And then oh, we have one more on from Jordan, who says "False." What performed by Michael Bolton would be the most sexual song of all time. That wouldn't make any sense, Jordan. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> For a That's lot fair. of reasons. <laughs> Very fair. All right. Joe, where are we heading? I might be coming up with the greatest pitch of all time, or I might Guys, be burying I'm myself. So I'm going to go with the 27 funny. Club. All oh, right. Yes. Oh, 27 Club. Joe. This is a favorite. Of Joe, how old are you? 27. Yeah, you're about to die. <laughs> Sorry, you're wow. crush you. hey, Johnny, how old are you? <laughs> oh, fuck. I'm 27, too. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. Dude, I forgot I was 27. Wow. All right. Well, yeah, you're born the same honest. month I am. So this movie is kind of how that works. Seven years old. We right. should have waited till next year to do this movie. Yeah. Okay. Well, Twenty Seven Club uh, from 1994 received a 92 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Steven Soderbergh chronicles the lives and tragic deaths of many musicians who coincidentally died at the age of 27. Intercut between different time periods, this heartbreaking drama probably missed out on an Oscar nomination due to the unfortunate timing of the death of Kurt Cobain that same year, making a very difficult movie to watch and one that people would only want to watch if it included him. Um, so a pretty sad movie. Let's see where you guys go with it. Oh, I'll go first. I didn't know if I said that. I didn't, but you can go for it. Uh, so my director is Orson Welles because the rule I use is I only use bad, bad actors. So playing Amy director. Winehouse is Amy Winehouse. Playing Anton Yelchin is Anton Yelchin. And playing Kurt Cobain as Kurt Cobain himself 
And so the movie is about three celebrities playing themselves, showing their three different lives. We see Amy Winehouse become famous after singing about rehab, using an abundance of drugs and alcohol leading to her death. We see Kurt Cobain and his quick rise to fame leading to his mysterious death. And we see Anton Yelchin, a Russian, a Russian refugee, on the last night of his life where he died due to unfortunate circumstances. The movie has them recreating important moments from their life as it cuts to them alone, explaining their thoughts at the time and what they would do differently or the same. And that's my pitch for the 27 Club. Joe, remember when you said I either have the best pitch ever or the worst pitch ever? Congrats on yeah. your nomination for worst pitch of all time. I do need some that's, justification of that as we yeah. get going. Okay. But uh, yeah, and, Jenny, what do you got? And you're going up against the movie that I'm going to make because I'm even more passionate about this than the last one, if you can believe it. So what I liked about the original movie was that it started and ended with like interviews of um, celebrities and stuff like famous people who interacted with the actual people the movie focused on. So I'm going to keep that into my movie and I'm going to tell a story that's cut into basically four different segments in between every segment or before each one, there's going to be an interview with someone who um, basically the questions will kind of um, get to why they are, are interviewed. So I'm going to read my pitch. I think the best way to do this is I'm going to read my pitch and then I'm going to tell you who's playing each person. So, the Oh, but I'll start with this because someone who's good at telling movies and kind of segments and jumping back and forth between um, not like time travel, but different time periods is um, Derek uh, C in France. I don't know how to say his name, okay. but he directed blue Valentine um, and he directed the place beyond the pines. And that's kind of what I'm going for here. And I like his tone. I think it fits really well with these. So the movie is four parts all about, all around 30 minutes, but before each chapter, there's a seemingly random celebrity interviewed about the 27 Club. My movie starts with an Andre 3000 interview about playing Jimi Hendrix and the fun experience he had honoring Jimi. And then my first segment is Jimi Hendrix, The Night of Woodstock. He is supposed to be the closer, but due to weather and technical issues, he is offered to play before the show gets delayed until the morning. Um, and, and Jimi obviously famously declined that, and he went on at 9 a.m., the next morning, it's a very hopeful segment. It portrays a positive and open-minded Jimmy explaining to his crew and the stage managers that he is he is the reason these people came to see these people came to see me close. Even if it's tomorrow morning, I'll perform rain or shine, whatever we got to do. Um, but I'm going to close the show. So, a hopeful and upbeat tone portraying a man behind the scenes that was Jimmy Hendrix, um, who sadly obviously died when he was 27. Fade to black, end of the scene, cut to a Harry Styles interview on being famous and in the spotlight so young and turning 27 this year, um, which would be 2021. He turns 27. Um, and this is before my Amy Winehouse uh, segment. Um, Amy Winehouse, she wakes up nervous, throws up. You can see a bottle of pills on the nightstand in the background because today she's performing um, or recording an album with one of her idols, Tony Bennett. So it's going to be the segment of Amy's life when she was um, recording with him. It's going to be basically a day in the life of Amy Winehouse. The movie's tone is going to shift a little darker. You're not going to fully delve into her drug use, but you're going to hint at it and show signs of it. Um, and after that scene, you fade to black, cut to an interview with Demi Lovato on her experience with drugs and her heroin overdose in 2018. Because my third segment after her interview is going to be about Janis Joplin. 
Um, so Janice Joplin is going to be waiting for a date at a local diner. She waits and waits, but no one shows. She stood up um, because the day she died. Now, this isn't super like factual, but the stories go that she was stood up twice um, in the same day on her last day of her life. Um, and that led to her ODing. So she waits and waits. No one's there. She's depressed about being stood up. She goes back to her hotel room and invites over friends. The scene portrays heavy drug use and heroin usage by everyone there. And Janice, this is ultimately the night of her death, although the scene ends with her shooting up and passing out, but it never actually shows her die. And then after the Janice Janice Joplin segment, here's where my rule comes in. You cut to an interview with Tommy Wiseau. This interview has a darker tone, and it dives into being considered an outcast in Hollywood. Tommy Wiseau always was, you have to play the villain. That's why he never wanted to make movies, because everyone tried to cast him as Dracula and all these things because of how he looks and how he acts. And he never really made a name for himself because of this, um, because he wanted to be a hero. That's why he made his own movie. Um, and in, uh, um, what's it called? The, uh, the movie that James, James Franco made about him. What's that called? Help me. Help disaster me. Artist. The Disaster Artist. Um, Give me points. Take away points from him. No. So The Disaster Artist, he, um, they have interviews similar to like how my movie will be, like before and afterwards. Um, and yeah, I know nowadays he's like, oh, I should be the Joker. But his whole career was held back because he wanted to be, you know, the um, uh, he wanted to be the hero whenever he wanted to be the villain. Now, the reason that this interview is um, worthwhile to my movie and it makes sense is because the last segment of my movie will also be to someone who was blamed and criticized her entire career, really held back because of the people that assumed things about her and things that, you know, weren't really true, but because of her parents, because of how she always acted, because of her relationship with Kurt Cobain, um, you know, she was always held back. So this is going to be a darker interview. And then my final segment of the film is focused on Courtney Love, the day of Kurt Cobain's funeral. She blames herself. Um, she goes back and forth as to whether she can read Kurt's suicide note and is deeply depressed. The dark tone of the final segment carries throughout, but the film ends with, um, it ends with love, but also a hard scene to see because if you've ever seen the actual um, reading of Kurt's suicide note, you know, her hair's all a mess and, and it's, it's, it's really sad, but that's going to be portrayed in my final segment of the movie. Um, and uh, the dark tone, final scene is great. The film love, um, with love reading her late husband's suicide note at the funeral through her teary eyes. Fade to black. The final few minutes of the film before the credits is an interview with Dave Grohl about the death of Kurt Cobain. So you're going to kind of tie everything together. You're going to bring him in. They're going to ask if he, you know, do, have you forgiven him? What's your relationship with Courtney Love? Famously, two years ago, they kind of ended their 20-year feud because um, he always blamed her and things like that. So I want to uh, bring him in as well. Now, Here's my cast, so you can kind of put this all together in your head. I went with people that I feel like could also could portray them, but also look like them and are similar ages. My Jimi Hendrix is going to be played by Kelvin Harrison Jr. Um, not many people probably know who he is. He's probably most famous for his movie Loose, which is really, really good. But if you look him up, first of all, he's a great actor. Second of all, he can portray Jimi Hendrix really well. And he's not 40 years old like Andre 3000 was when he played a 27-year-old. My Amy Winehouse... There's only one person in the world who can play her that's alive. Someone who can sing and actually act, Lady Gaga. She's going to be Amy Winehouse. I think she has got a similar voice. 
I think she can act. She obviously showed the world that with The Star is Born. Um, and then my Janis Joplin, another actress that really surprised me with how strong her career has turned out is Dakota Fanning. I wanted someone that's not like looked at as the super like model, beautiful woman, but someone who can really act and be real. Dakota Fanning has done that before, and she has played a musician before. Um, and funny enough, with my with my Courtney Love actress, because Courtney Love will be Kristen Stewart. Um, uh, people shit on her, but I think she's a fantastic actress. She was already um, she played uh, Joan Jett in that movie, um, and I, and she was really good in it. So I want her to be um, Courtney Love. And my Tony Bennett, just because I need someone who can kind of do that, is going to be Tom Jones. I don't need someone who can super act, but I need someone who can sing the Tony Bennett parts of that. So those were really the only people I cast. But I think I nailed the casting. I love the story. It's a little different than, obviously, the original's, um, like, format. And it's different than a lot of movies. But that's why I picked the director I chose, because it's similar to, like, The Place Beyond the Pines. But instead, you have those talking head interviews in between segments. So... That's my pitch. This was one of my longest ones I've ever done, but I really was passionate about this. I put a lot of research into this one. So. Yeah, definitely. I think the long, definitely the longest pitch we'd have to go back and listen, but for yours, for sure. Um, yeah, the, this is a good movie. Joe, to me, I think you're pretty behind right now with your rule, but if you can justify it, I think your movie could be pretty interesting. So I'd like to hear that as you go. Um, but so I'll start with with Joe on this question. Um, are you introducing the white lighter th conspiracy into your story? Uh, the first one touched on the controversial conspiracy theory where they were all found with a white Bic lighter when they died. Um, they kind of it, it kind of made that theory blow up at the time, uh, and you can kind of Google that. No, that. I do. do no, I don't because anything? the white lighter theory has been debunked recently. People, it's been released that it was photoshopped images, and it's just this whole thing on 4chan that people spread, and it turns out. White lighter theory is not true, so I didn't put it in my movie. Okay. I yeah. think it, I mean, I know it's not true, but I think to have an homage to that because it's such a famous theory, I think is um, relevant. So while they're all not going to, you know, obviously my movies don't show them die, but in every segment, someone's either going to light like a cigarette or when Janis Joplin does heroin, they're using a white lighter. So it's going to have that in there. So Jimi Hendrix, before the show, he's lighting a cigarette, you know, backstage and he uses a white lighter. I think that's all pretty like just a simple nod to, hey, anyone who knows this theory, here's a little Easter egg for you, basically. Okay. Tristan, do you have anything before they fight? I am definitely leaning towards Johnny initially, but I do want to hear more from Joe in the arguments. I think he has a controversial take, but I think it has a lot of potential. So I want to hear him talk about it a little bit more. But I do have a question. I'm going to start with uh, Johnny on this. Uh, so the 27 Club originally has one of several of Donald Trump's contractually obligated cameos in various 90s movies. So if you didn't recognize him, he's in the scene where the main character goes to Times Square on Christmas Eve and sees snow for the first time. So did you uh, address or make fun of a reference to Donald Trump cameo at all in this movie? No, my movies can have a very serious tone, and you don't need to bring that stuff into it. If they made a Home Alone nowadays, they're not going to throw a Donald Trump cameo just because he was in the second one. Like, you don't ever need to address Donald Trump or, you know, pretend that he matters. Sorry, anyone who disagrees with me, but not sorry. <laughs> so that's not like you, Johnny. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, fuck all you people. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Joe? 
Yeah, so every scene in my movie is going to have a Make America flag in the background or Make America Great Again flag in the background. Every scene? No, I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm with Danny. There's not going to be any reference or anything to Donald Trump. Oh, God. All right, I'm glad you clarified because, yeah. Yeah, like no scene in my movie. I was ready to stop the arguments and just. uh, (laughs) No, if if it's all right, if I can go first. Yeah, definitely. You can go first. We need a little. yeah. So I feel like to a degree, me and Johnny did more similar movies where our movies are almost more documentaries, almost in a way than an actual like long form plot of a movie like his obviously has like the recreation. So does mine where mine just has the people playing themselves. But I thought it was a interesting way to get a more true to life version, because like with Johnny's where you have other people telling the story of these people and then you have recreated scenes. Mine has the actual people themselves telling, hey, this is exactly what happened. These are the thoughts that were in my head in this moment. This is me recreating these scenes. So there's no like in between of did this happen? Did this not happen? No, this is exactly 100% what happened. And we know because we have these people's thoughts of what was going on in that time, in that moment. And I thought who better to play Kurt Cobain, Amy Winehouse, and Anton Yelchin in the final moments of their life, in the final days, year of their life, than them themselves because they knew exactly what's going on. Maybe they're not the best actors. I mean, Anton Yelchin is, but they were there and they knew what would happen. And there's no like story of, oh, this is kind of my experience knowing about this person or this or that. It's like, no, I, this is me. This is them. Our movies kind of have a similar format of like, it's a person talking and then it kind of cuts to the story, uh, like the storyline of the movie. And I feel like mine is more true because it's the person themselves knowing that was there. That was what happened. And so that was my, 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 my main thing about Joe's movie is, even when they make biopics of someone who's alive, like the theory of everything didn't star Stephen Hawking. Well, like, it, you don't, you don't need. He, it's about him when he was like twenty-seven, and now he's ninety. I know, I get that. That's my one example of it because it came out later. I just couldn't think of another one. But there have been plenty of biopics that have come out about people that are actually alive. Like Jake LaMotta helped make the movie. You remember about that Eminem movie that was basically actually, about Eminem that starred Eminem. Yeah, but Eminem can actually, you know, act. And that movie wasn't like a biopic of his life and it didn't cut between people. Amy Winehouse, man, she can't act. Like, I love Amy Winehouse's voice, but like, if I want to see the actual dramatic telling of someone's life, I want it someone capable of doing so. And obviously Anton Yelchin can do that. But your movie is just going to feel, first of all, if we had the creative technology to do what your movie did, because it's hey, the our, rule, you know, we're talking a fantasy rule, right? Like when your Prince movie, I wasn't like, hey, Prince is dead. He can't well, make my movie. Thing. You can't I'm, I'm argue the saying, argument of saying, like, oh, Amy Winehouse is dead. She can't make my movie. But the difference is this. Let's say, Prince, I could make one more movie and you get a wish from a genie. I want to have fun with it, man. I don't want to see him play himself overdosing on fentanyl. Like your movie's going to be really, really hard to watch. Is your movie's going to be real uplifting and Mine is not going to be uplifting. It's going to be a tough movie to watch, but at least it's not watching the actual people do this to themselves. Like, I don't want to see Amy Winehouse actually taking drugs and then ODing in real life when that's actually what happened. You know, my story tells it shows the life of four different people and tells one story of how these people's lives go. You have the uplifting beginning and you have it slowly, slowly fade. And then the end is so sad. That is exactly the kind of, you know, uh, that's the tone that you want to go with. It shows even jumping back and forth from different timelines, you know, and different uh, people that have much different styles. 
you're telling the same story. So it's a lot of it is so similar. And I want to tell that story, but with four different kind of voices. And I want to have the voices of people that might you might not think about when you think of the 27 Club. But like, I think Tommy Wiseau was a good person to interview before Courtney Love, because I would say that they kind of, um, you know, match personality wise. And and people might not think of it like that. But, I, I you know, if you're going to include Tommy Wiseau in any of these movies, I think an interview would be best because he's really good when he's on Jimmy Fallon and these things. He's you know, you can actually watch him and he's entertaining, but I, I don't need to see him be like the sensei in your last movie. So I thought that was a good fit for my rule. I, I like that. Um, all my people fit and it's going to get, it will get increasingly harder to watch, but I'm not watching Amy Winehouse literally kill herself again, like on real life. Like that would be too much, but I almost that feel like that almost. Hit I already harder. have the Amy, I already have the Amy Winehouse documentary, which is really heartbreaking um, enough. And that has plenty of scenes with her just being herself. I don't need another version of that. I want to see a biopic version by a capable director with really good actors and actresses um, of those stories, because I think it's an important story to tell. And I, and I, and I think that this movie is one that I would be, even though it's dark, like I love a good, dark, sad movie. And I would be first in line to see my movie. I wouldn't go see yours because it would just be too much. Like it would be too much for me. But not all. But my thing for that is not all members of the Twenty Seven Club. Anton Yelchin is an example of that. Are like these dark, sad, tragic stories. Some of them is just like fucking. Yeah, nothing happy. dark and sad about someone dying well, in I'm, the most horrific accident. Well, I just I've meant in the way of. of like it's not a long road of drugs and alcohol and abuse. Yeah, it's just him being himself, and then all of a sudden you have this horrendous accident. Like if your movie actually shows him getting run over by his own car, I'm not gonna fucking see that movie. I don't need to see him die again. That's too much. Like my movie is a dramatic portrayal of these people's lives and it tells a cohesive storyline. Yours doesn't show the um, connective tissue between the people you chose. It, it's I just kind of all over the place. Up. It's very random. I don't, I don't, I'm not into your movie. And I think my movie is so much stronger than yours. Yours, mine is actually something that would get made. Yours, even if you had the ability to make it with the dead actors, I'm not fucking seeing your movie. All right, Joe, one one more rebut to that, and then I think we're going to get going. But I, I was just going to say my final thing of his saying my was disconnected is I wanted to show the different ways of pe- how people become members of the 27 Club, and it's not all just like drugs and alcohol and just going down the same wrong path for everybody. Okay. But then it's not the 27 Club, because then it doesn't have any connected tissue. I want to tell a story that actually connects it. This is the 27 Club. Okay. This is the people who live these lives and, and passed on. Yeah. No, we got your movie, John. You've been pretty, yeah. pretty descriptive on it. Um, Tristan, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I think that Joe's just sounds a little too much. I think Johnny's does Joe's, but just more consumably. Like you have the actors portraying these famous people rather than having to watch the famous, famous people that we know die on screen in front of us. Like, I think that might be a little bit too much. Like, you know, when we see stuff like, oh, Leia came back as CGI in Rogue One and Tarkin came back in Rogue One. And then even that people are like uncomfortable. Like, oh, I'm seeing this dead person like alive in this movie that's coming out now. <laughs> I don't know. This sounds very, very strange. And I don't know if I would like it very much. I think Johnny's captures the emotion that this movie can bring and actually does it in a way that would be able to watch it. So I'm leading towards Johnny. Yeah, I mean, Joe, I think you actually you made a really good pitch with that rule because that sounds ridiculous, but to have their inner thoughts um, and kind of what they were thinking for a lot of those during that day, like I, that that is interesting to me. 
Um, but yeah, seeing, I think it just might be too tough to see the real people go through those situations when you know what happened. Um, and Johnny, I think that was a really creative use of Tommy Wiseau. I think that's a really good use of the rule. And I think your movie captures the 27 club with a good through line. I like, I really like your director choice and get the tone. So I'm going to go with Johnny. So uh, that was really Johnny, Johnny's going to be up three one. So Joe's got some uh, fighting to do. Yeah. I knew, I knew that what choice was a risk, but I'm like, it could pay off. Yeah, no, definitely. It could, a risk, it could have, but, it could have got me if I didn't, if I wasn't so passionate about what I did and I think I used it well, this was the hardest pitch I've ever, ever had to do for this show. That was a yeah. really tough movie to choose yeah. for this because it's so unique. So, you know, when I found out like my idea for it, I was super behind it. So I like what I ended up with. And I did a lot of research to, to do that and find the right people. I've never, ever, ever in my life had to look up more actors and actresses to make sure I had the right choices and i was really proud of what i ended up with so i wasn't going to lose that fight even if joe had a better pitch yeah that was good and yeah joe's if if you had used a different rule that had to make it a little even like a little goofier or just made it a little tougher pitch i think joe would have taken that where we where we going next joe uh i'm gonna i'm not feeling great about any of these pitches but i'm gonna go (laughs) first i'm gonna go mermaid man and the barnacle boy the movie from 2003 okay who's going first joe i thought i said that but yeah, that's worked for you well so far. So uh, Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy, the movie from 2003, has a 29% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is fair, but it could be a little higher for a kid's movie. Um, Sean Levy directs this live-action SpongeBob spinoff movie starring Paul Giamatti as Mermaid Man and DJ Qualls as Barnacle Boy. The duo, duo takes to the surface to stop the villainous Man Ray, played by Jesse Bradford, from taking over San Francisco. All right, let's lead us off, Joe. All right, I'm going to start off with my rule. My rule is I'm going to resurrect a director's career, and the director I chose is uh, Andrew Adamson. He directed Shrek 1. He wrote and directed Shrek 2 and uh, Chronicles of Narnia and uh, Prince Caspian and uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He can do comedy. He can do action. last movie he directed was like some weird New Zealand movie in 2012, but his last like big-time movie he directed was Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian in 2008. Uh, my Mermaid Man is going to be played by Zac Efron, and my Barnacle Boy is going to be played by Jack Dylan Grazer, and my Man Ray is going to be played by Idris Elba. So my movie is basically fully live action with CGI elements. It's a spoof parody of current franchises starting a universe before they even have a movie. Things like a fisherman getting covered with toxic sludge and Mermaid Man saying we won't fight him until the fourth movie, and Barnacle Boy being secretive about his life saying that he won't reveal it until the climax of the sequel. Uh, The movie is set in the 1960s and tells the story from Barnacle Boy's perspective. He meets Mermaid Man for the first time, who he idolizes, until he realizes Mermaid Man is a dumb surfer bro that wasn't born with powers but only has powers because of his suit, which he found. Mermaid Mermaid Man, who doesn't think of the potential risk, gives Barnacle Boy another suit he found. The two of them fight Man Ray for the first time as he tries to take over the area of the ocean that will become Bikini Bottom. Towards the end of the movie, they go through an underwater portal and meet Paul Giamatti in the DJ Qualls version, who helped them in the big climactic battle. DJ Qualls, Barnacle Boy, asks if Paul Giamatti looked like Zac Efron when he was younger, and he says no. Zac Efron is scared he's going to eventually look like Paul Giamatti. And then there is a dirty bubble post credit scene. And that is the pitch for my Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy, the movie. All right. Pretty cool. You even included the same uh, post credit scene as the first one setting up that universe. That's pretty interesting. Johnny, let's see where you go. Here's my thing. I mean, everyone knows, okay, there's two big issues with the first movie. One, 
the R rating. Like Barnacle Boy's heroin usage in the first movie is not something that you know you're going into knowing like, oh yeah, I'm going to see Green Man Barnacle Boy. And the other thing this movie's known for, and the reason that it's forgotten, is the lawsuit. Like they didn't have the rights to these characters. They didn't have the permission of the SpongeBob creators to to make this movie, but they decided to do it anyway. It was somewhat of a spoof, but it was way too serious. They went with a dark tone. Like, I want all of that away. None of that's going to be in my movie. I'm surprised Joe didn't mention that. I don't know why you'd ever bring back, like, the creators of this are not going to bring back the original cast when it was literally fucking sued over it. So that's a crazy choice right there. But here's my thing. I like Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy in the original SpongeBob show because they're old men and they're old retired superheroes. So I don't want to have an origin story of these people. So this is my cast. Oh, my rule, I am resurrecting a director's career. And I'm not resurrecting some shitty director's career like Joe, some dude who made Shrek that doesn't hold up. I'm resurrecting the career of Donald Petrie, famous for grumpy old men, which is the tone I'm going for here, Miss Congeniality, which is the only watchable Sandra Bullock performance, and the Golden Girls movie, classic movie we talked about last time we did this show. Great director, um, but you know he hasn't done anything in a long time, and he is the guy I want for the tone of my movie. I don't need a bunch of shitty pop culture references like Joe's director and Shrek. My mermaid man, the greatest actor of all time, Bill Murray. Great, great guy. How fucking dare you? Which, okay, which statement is being disputed here? My Bill Murray <laughs> fact or, or I don't know. What did I say before that? I don't remember. Well, just, um, you say, when you say greatest of all time, it can always be disputed. Yeah, that's not true. Alan Iverson, greatest of all time. See, can't dispute that. Barnacle Boy. <laughs> I was <laughs> I was waiting for that. I knew that. <laughs> Fuck you. Um, my Barnacle Boy. Okay. Mermaid Man, Bill Murray, Barnacle Boy, Jeff Goldblum. Fucking perfect pairing. I love them. I want them to be retired. Old dudes. Um, and my uh, and then I'm gonna have the whole um uh, what is it? The the uh, bad guy club for villains. That's going to be my big villains. I'm not setting up a universe. I'm not setting up a franchise. This is going to be a one-off song. Throwing them all in there. Evil, E-V-I-L. Yes. My dirty bubble. Obviously CGI character, but he's going to be played by Kurt Russell. My man Ray is going to be Arsenio Hall. Obviously famous for coming to America. A lot of great uh, old performances and movies. My atomic flounder is going to be Woody Harrelson. I think he fits that character very well. My Jumbo Shrimp, he's a Jumbo, man. Arnold Schwarzenegger, iconic voice, Jumbo person. Fits my character very well. Now, here's my pitch. 20 years into retirement and 40 years after the last ring of the conch shell, conch, conch shell the phone rings once again. I wrote once again because I was a little drunk when I wrote this. Now, the mayor of Bikini Bottom has one last mission for Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy. Years after being released from lifetime sentences, the bad guy club for villains has reunited and has decided to wreak havoc on the surface. The only people who can stop them are Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy. The only problem? The former partners and former lovers have not spoken in 20 years, despite living in the same retirement home. Can the two put their past differences aside to reunite and stop the most dangerous group of supervillains of all time? We'll see in my movie. That's my pitch. The only one I've ever ended with a question mark. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, very intriguing. Um, 
Yeah, bringing up the lawsuit is uh, definitely a good point to bring up. But uh, Tristan, I'll start with you. Do you have any questions for these two before uh, they get going? Yeah, I really like both of their pitches. I think they both had had different takes from the original, but I think they... I mean, we all love SpongeBob, Merman, and Barnacle Boy, so I think we had a lot of heart in these original characters, so I'm really excited to hear them argue it out and get more detail on their pitch. But I do have one question. Joe mentioned a uh, post credit scene, and Johnny said he's not going to set anything up, but one of the more memorable parts of the movie is when there's a flashback to Merman and Barnacle Boy teaming up with the Crimson Chin. And then the Crimson Chin and the uh, two characters fight the uh, Alaskan Bullworm. So I was wondering if you guys had any connection to like the, you know, the Nickelodeon cartoon universe they tried to set up with this movie. Who's first? Oh, I'll go with Johnny first, and that one since you didn't have any connection at all. Why did you make that choice? Um, I actually do have that in my movie. I want them to fight the Alaskan bullworm in the movie. That's going to be like what's released. And that's going to be like their first thing teaming up. And they're going to have to, despite being angry at each other, figure out how to stop this. And that's going to show for the first time in my movie. Oh shit. They can actually work together. Like we can work together. And that's how they're going to team up after that to uh, stop the villains. Right. My thing is, because mine is set in the 60s, mine is before the Crimson Chin is even born. They do reference Cincinnati and Barnacle Boy, obviously born in Cincinnati. So that's kind of where oh, that connection Crimson comes Chin, from. not in my movie, sorry. Yeah, Crimson Chin, not in my movie because he's part. not born yet, but they do go to Cincinnati. Because okay. that's where Barnacle Boy was born. Yeah, they go on they go on the surface and they go to Cincinnati, but I don't, and it's going to have like a statue of him, but I don't need like an appearance like the original movie. Yeah. All right. Um, my question, I think, is only for Joe. I mean, I have a lot of – I need to hear about Johnny's a little more, but I don't have a specific question yet. But uh, since Johnny did use older actors, and in the first one they used prosthetics to kind of age them up so that they actually were the older characters, um, why did you end up going with, like, the younger kind of backstory for your Yeah, I was going to actually bring this up. The reason I wanted to go younger is obviously, like, the heroin use R rating of the first one. <laughs> I mean, this is a SpongeBob – spinoff movie this is a movie aimed at kids and like this is going to be a nickelodeon paramount crossover that are going to make this movie together they're going to want to aim this movie at kids this movie's going to be for kids and then they're going to bring back dj quails and paul giamatti well yeah because kids (laughs) the thing was they want it's it's from the director of shrek who's good at putting stuff for kids and references for adults so they have uh, Jack Dylan Grazer is the focus of this movie. He's the main character as Barnacle Boy. He's uh, like our point of view in this movie. And he's what's going to get the kids in. Kids love Zac Efron, but there's also going to be that small moment that they want for parents, and that's why they bring... Uh, there's a scene with Paul Giamatti and DJ Qualls when they come back. So there's a little bit for everything. Your movie, when it's just Bill Murray and Jeff Goldblum and a bunch of old people, I don't really know if kids are going to be interested in your Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy. They're good as side characters when they're old and SpongeBob because you also have SpongeBob and Patrick and Squidward. Dude, but now that they're by seen... themselves, now that they're by themselves, kids do not care about Bill Murray and Jeff That's Goldblum. That's so not true. Have you seen Grumpy Old Men? Like that movie is a family movie and it's amazing. I watched that when I was a kid and I fucking love it. My friend, Grant Bullock, when I was a child, shout out to Grant if you're ever fucking listening, probably not. <laughs> He dropped out of high school, but I think he's doing well now. Congrats, man. But his favorite movie when we were kids was Grumpy Old Men. And I was like, what are you talking about? And then we watched it in his house, and I'm like, dude, this movie's hilarious. Just but our because kids today, old, I mean, kids aren't, like, into it. Like, but our kids, kids today are going to be like, oh, let's go, 
are kids today going to be like, let's go see this movie with Bill Murray and Jeff Goldblum? I don't think so. I don't well, think here's, so. Here's who's going to go see my movie. Bobby, how old are you? Uh, I'm now 30. Yeah, 30, 30. Yeah. Now, Bobby and I grew up with SpongeBob. Now, Bobby and I don't have kids yet, but a lot of people my age and Bobby's age, they have kids, okay? You have a five, six-year-old kid. You go to the movies. I grew up with SpongeBob. Bobby grew up with SpongeBob. We'll still throw SpongeBob on because it's a funny show for us. We're going to bring our family to the show that we grew up with, and then our kids are going to love these characters. I don't need, you know, the five- and six-year-olds, the ten-year-olds. Like, it's the parents that are bringing those people to movies, Okay, all I need to do is be like, hey, here's a superhero movie, and it's for kids. It's funny. You have a couple fart jokes, and you throw it in the trailer. Every kid's going to line up to see it, all right? You got old people. They're going to fart, all right? Farts, farts are funny, okay? So you have that in there, and uh, I was waiting for uh, this fact is disputed. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but that's not disputed because farts are always funny, right? So I, I think uh, my movie is good for families. It's good for kids. It's good for parents. They're going to bring their kids to it. And, and it's just going to have another legion of SpongeBob fans. It's going to have another legion of kids loving it and going back and watching the show. And that's what the studio is going to want to do because they're obviously so pissed off at the first movie existing because they just made it without, you know, anyone knowing. And we're just like, here's your characters that we made R-rated. And now Barnacle Boy's doing heroin. And DJ Quails is doing it. Sounds like Johnny has baby fever, says Cole. Yeah, Cole, because you're a little baby and I have a fever to kick your ass. Yeah, but my thing with my movie is uh, parents, they like the original. They like. Uh, no, they the don't. Movie. No one liked the original. Why are you trying to bring back I, fans of the original? I like movie? the original. I like the original. Okay, the original cool, is a classic. Man. People our age love SpongeBob. There's a SpongeBob spinoff movie. Let's go watch it. We love Zach Gaffron. People love Jack Dylan Grazer from Shazam and It. Yeah, exactly. He's already done Shazam. I don't need him to be the sidekick in another superhero movie. I like. I've never seen Bill Murray or Jeff Goldblum be superheroes, and that's what I want to see. I want to see them as former lovers come out of retirement and be bickering old people while trying to save the world. My movie, I would go see. Your movie sounds like shit. Sounds like shit. My movie sounds like a future American classic for kids. Your movie sounds like a movie that no one really would care about. Of Your movie is a kid's movie that brings back the characters from a movie where one of them's ODing. Like, I don't need to see that. No one's bringing it back. Like, yeah, like you have the old characters like Johnny Depp and them coming back in 21 Jump Street, but that's an R-rated movie. It makes sense. Your movie doesn't make sense. The studio would never allow it. Not getting made. My Nickelodeon movie, no, no acknowledgement to that They got movie Dan Schneider running the kids' lost. programming. They make weird okay. choices over there. Here's my thing, Joe. Okay. Okay. Tough subject there. Okay. Well, that brings us back to the point. Tristan, why do you have such a racist logo on your chair? (laughs) (laughs) We were talking about that the entire time you were gone because all we saw was that fucking logo. All right. Anyway, not talking about that. Also, Tristan, we did hot love. Where's the chip? Yeah, what well, are you doing, man? I was saving it for the end because you guys are just going. Yeah. You know, the real fire is in the chat. I forgot all, all right. about the chip. So if you guys are done arguing, Tristan is going to eat the chip now, and then okay. we're going to judge. All right. Eat oh, the man. chip. I'm going to go fill my drink up. Eat the chip. I got a pee. And uh, <laughs> wait, fuck. Wait, okay. get your. You have it with you? It's right here. I got my chip oh, all ready shit. to go. Okay. I can't leave yeah. the room then. All right. I'll watch you eat it. And then while you're recovering, drinking your milk, which is gross, no right. one drink milk. Um, oh God, 
We'll go, um, we'll go do what no, we got to do. Hurry up. Just do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. All right, this hey, one goes we're, to we're you making guys. Time. For hot love. Oh, it's black? I thought it would be like red. So for anyone that doesn't know, this is like... Yeah, I've got the box right here. Yeah, the the one one chip chip challenge. challenge. Shout out! They sponsored our show. They sent us all um, uh, chip challenges, and uh, for them, I'll do my live read. One chip challenge, man! Buy the chip. That's the read. Great, great read. (laughs) They've got a really good good marketing team. Big fans of hot love. So they heard you covered hot love, and they were like, "Tristan, you got to eat that chip live." So uh, let's just get tortured, I guess. Go for it. This chip? And now we've got you a mock tonight. You didn't one bite. Oh god, you did not <laughs> did. Do that. that was an awkward shape to do. That. Go? <laughs> All right, now I'm gonna wipe right. his face. Yeah, so while he's uh recovering oh here, <laughs> so I want you to try to tell me whose pitch you like better as you're well, eating that chip. God. <laughs> Don't drink the milk, you have a minute. I'm feeling pretty right, old while I'm eating this. Uh <laughs> Joe's leaving. Well, while Joe's going, this is bad. Uh, <laughs> so, how are you guys doing, audience? We got one or two viewers, right? Oh yeah. Me. How's is that? I need my glass. Jeez. Ah, it's definitely not feeling good. But yeah, I do it often. You have a, you have a you countdown. Know? You have a countdown for Go one ahead. minute here. Going. Whew. It's gotta be getting there. All right. Well, while while they are gone, I can hear Johnny laughing. I know. I know Johnny. Johnny can hear you. So, um, were you leaning any direction? Yeah. Uh, I like Joe's cast. I like going young a bit. I think when I was a kid, when I watched these movies, or I mean these episodes. Why did you watch this when you were a kid, man? You're a bad. Well, I did watch this, but I mean, I love the I love the Birdman and Barnacle Boy characters in the show. And when I watched it, I always did want to see like, what were they like when they were at their prime. Oh, fucking kill me. <laughs> I'm just, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm going to let you give your whole, uh, so I feel I'm, like, I'm, I, I'm I like that Joe went younger. I think Zach Afron back to like a, I know it's not a Disney channel, but it's still like a thing we watch when you're kids. And I think that would be kind of heartwarming to see Zach Afron go back to that. So at yeah. first I was leaning towards Johnny. Cause I do like that. He went more traditional with the older characters. But I'm literally crying right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll I'll, I'll probably go you. with Joe on my on my vote for right. for this. But well, I'll, I'll, I'll let you. Um, I'll Tristan, let you I can't wait silence. to face you next week because that's a fucking terrible call. All right, well, Bobby. Well, I'm making the final call here, but um, I don't. I'm, I'm going to let Tristan suffer in silence. But so I was actually torn because I I would have preferred if it was older. I think, but the way Joe pitched the movie and the way Johnny pitched the movie. I think Joe's is a little bit more true to the cartoon in tone and in um, plot line and like the, some of the characters. Johnny's with the, with them being lovers and that it's, you're throwing in a couple more things that I don't think should be included. I'm normalizing um, things for kids, okay? That's but, an important thing. You well, it's more just even a, just it's just having a romance. In it. Being, I think. Just, just having a romance in general. Is, if it's Paul in this movie. telling Barnacle Boy to fuck himself. But the original movie, um, yeah, no, the original is definitely not the way to go. I, I think more of a kids' movie, the way you guys did it, is definitely the best best way to do it. Um, but I think to me, I just liked Joe's pitch a little bit better um, overall. Ooh. Johnny, um, yes, you were, you were passionate. New, new again, nomination, but... <laughs> new nomination, worst judge decision. No, but 
Um, Joe, I, who I'm definitely the going with from Joe. the movie that was sued. It's <laughs> not getting picked. That's not getting made. The, kid, the, the kids aren't going to know that movie, though. That's the whole thing. The studio will know. And Look at stuff like Spider-Verse. They don't give a shit. You had stuff like uh, CW brought right. in like, all the old people who played shitty characters that on CW shocking, before. Shocking decision. I think, right. it, I think it could be kind of cool to bring in the old actors. How dare where, you? Where are we going, Johnny? Let's, oh, let's, I don't uh, even fucking know anymore. That was... <laughs> God damn it. I won. Oh, God. All right, fuck it. Okay, because I'm going to save my most complex pitch for the drunkest I'll be on this show. We're going to go with Beneath the Brush because that's a more cohesive storyline for me to read. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, And I'm going to go first because fuck you, Joe. I never get to go first. Do we have live comments? I heard there were live comments unless you talked about them while we were going. Uh, I put a couple up there, but there's been a lot of bashing on Johnny in this, I'd say. Right. Um, yeah, because they're all jealous, man. When you got the best record, but, people are gonna so, come at you. Here we have Paul. No, I wouldn't because I would never besmirch Bill Murray. We do have an older comment here. I didn't read it out loud for this. <laughs> but uh, Johnny debates like Trump. He says does. Cole. Well, um, he did hire me, and he became president because of me. So you know, I didn't want to release that to the world, but whatever. And then Cole also <laughs> says Johnny makes me want to cut off. Uh, cut my ears off. So we definitely have a lot of bashing of Johnny. Okay. Even though he is winning. Cole, he is still Cole, winning. you'd look way better without ears. Get those <laughs> ugly ass ears off your head, you piece of shit. Cole and I got right, a rivalry yeah. going on. Um, Cole just <laughs> saying. <laughs> I fucking hate Cole so much. I don't know if I can crush this guy. Never met that, him. You know. Never seen him. So, but I've talked shit to him on Michael's headphones. Yeah. All right. All right. So, yeah, so, hey, Cole. hey yeah. Cole, how old are you? Answer, right. way too old to play Fortnite yeah. as much as you do, you little fuck. All right, we're moving on Did to Beneath the Brush. Because uh, again, so, season five at tonight, 11 o'clock Central. I'll be on. Add me. Go for it. All right. Fortnite? Yep. Beneath the Brush. Just then you're also too old to play Fortnite. <laughs> All right, Johnny, mute yourself for a second. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Beneath the Brush from 1956 received a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. One of famed directors Ingmar, Ingmar Bergman's most romantic films tells the story of Nina Schein, a widow who returns to her childhood hometown. <clears throat> Nina soon finds herself entranced by a local young woman, a painter named Jaina, who leads Nina on a journey of self-discovery through erotic painting. Despite having no explicit sex scenes, this dreamy, dreamy and surreal summer romance inspired letter letter campaigns and protests from religious groups which caused the movie's release to be limited making one of Bergman's lesser known works kind of a controversial one um, who uh, did we say was going first Johnny you right let me unmute myself yeah I'm going first um, okay fuck you religious groups I'm going after you again guys my movie is going to come out in 1987 because it's directed by John Hughes because Joe wanted to make a horror movie by him, and I wanted to make a love story. And I feel like that fits his character better. So here's um, my cast. Really all you need to know. I have a character named Jack that's going to be played by Emilio Estevez. Um, and my Dexter is going to be played by Anthony Michael Hall, famous obviously both for Breakfast Club. They've worked with John Hughes before. Um, Anthony Michael Hall was in uh, the other shitty movie uh, that John Hughes made about candles. Um an erotic love story 
of the ages. Sorry, let me reread that. This is my pitch. An erotic teenage love story of the ages. Jack, the high school football star, captain of the football team and quarterback of the football team, learns that his GPA is slipping to the point of getting kicked off the team. He decides the only class he feels he can bring his grade up, and the easiest is art. He resorts to asking Dexter, the nerdy kid he's always bullied, to become his tutor. Um, Dexter tells Jack he will get him an A if Jack promises to stop bullying him and his friends. Jack is desperate, so he agrees. Dexter starts meeting with Jack after school for painting lessons, and the two slowly start to realize they have feelings for each other. Jack is afraid of these feelings because he has always hid his gay feelings. He's been in the closet. Dexter gets bullied because he's a gay nerd in the 80s. Not something you want to be uh, at that time. So Jack is afraid of all the ridicule he'll he'll receive at school if he starts dating uh, Dexter. But, you know, my movie is going to really focus on the secret love of the two, the football star and the nerdy kid that really worked and played well. Um, in the 80s. So the two start a secret love affair, but how long can it stay hidden? And that's my second pitch that ends with a question mark. I was really feeling the question marks when I wrote these, apparently. Um, Now, here's my thing. Now, the first movie was so disingenuous. Now, I know it's kind of a classic, but Ingrid Bergman was, he was married at this time when the first one came out, but he was having affairs with basically every woman he met on set so he was having an affair he kind of hated women at the time because it was a year after he went through a divorce so i think the characters in the original don't really hold up they're not exactly genuine strong female characters and i want mine to focus i changed it up to be two gay lovers because i think it would have fit better in the 80s um for these two to to kind of do that with and and i like the pairing of like the high school football star that is like the man's man that is secretly gay and he's so afraid of that because, you know, his dad is against it and everything. So you have the family drama, you have the drama in school, but you also have the funny moments and you have the John Hughes heart that is monumental to uh, John Hughes movies, unlike The Woodsman was. So that's my pitch. That's what I'm uh, I'm going with. Um, and I think Angry Birdman kept the, the first one safe and I kind of want to push the envelope a little bit. All right. Uh, even though you you uh, tend to like to bash the competitor about previous things in your pitches, uh, it was still good. I like that idea. Um, I think you used the rule well. So, Joe, what do you got? All right. So my uh, director for my movie is going to be uh, Steven Soderbergh. Uh, directed Ocean's Eleven. Directed Aaron Brockovich, I think. And uh, my Nina is going to be... Directed the 27 Club. Club. All right. Yeah. How could you not mention that, man? We literally Classic. just pitched it. My Nina is going to be played by Julia Roberts. Uh, my Jane is going to be played by Sorry. Kate Mara. And so here's the plot. Nina Shane, who was uh, adopted at a young age and uh, grew up in Missouri, takes a 23andMe test and finds out she has a biological cousin living in a small town in Iowa. She decides to visit the cousin to learn more about her biological family. The cousin is kind of dumb and doesn't really know anything, but says he will ask his mom if she knows anything. Uh, Nina decides to stay in town in the meantime. Nina, an avid painter, stops at a craft store for supplies. There she meets local high school art teacher Jaina. They hit it off and click really well, bonding over them both being adopted. Jaina shows Nina erotic painting, and over the summer the two fall in love, and we have passionate love scenes. 
Uh, Nina's cousin doesn't have any answers for her and says that his mom hasn't spoken to Nina's father in years and he may not be alive. Nina stays in town for Jaina. One day, Nina calls Jaina, but she doesn't get a reply. She goes to Jaina's house and it's empty. And this is where my rule of a twist ending comes in because Nina logs into her 23andMe and gets a notification. It says they found a sister. She clicks on the link and sees Jaina's face. She has finally found a family member and it's her lesbian lover. And that is my pitch. Yo, what the wow. fuck, man? <laughs> oh, man. You said you wanted to push well, the envelope. I pushed it a little bit yeah, further. Definitely pushed. Very, very pushed. Um, as crazy as that sounds in the way that you did that, I'm not off board with Joe's movie. No. So I'm definitely intrigued. Um, I don't have any Bobby specific questions. loves sister-sister romances. <laughs> no, but... But then on the record... That sounds like a crazy twist, but I think it can be argued. So I'm not off board completely. But Tristan, do you, I know uh, you're kind of a fan of this one, right? So what, do you have a, a question about this for them? So. Yeah, I recently hmm. bought this on the Criterion Collection. I, there was a 50% off sale at Barnes Noble. So I had a kind of like a Bergman binge and bought a bunch of them, including this one. So I'm kind of a big fan. Still recovering from the heat, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> My big question here is that Bergman's movies are kind of surrealist and kind of abstract in some ways, and it's left ambiguous in this movie whether or not uh, the two characters are actually one character in the same, and that she was fantasizing about like who she wished she was. So do you guys leave it totally ambiguous about whether, I mean, totally straightforward about whether these characters are the same person, or do you make it obvious one way or the other? How do you address that in, in the original movie? All right, so I'll go first. Uh, so my ambiguousness of mine is obviously God. my Nina and Jaina are two separate characters. But towards the end of the movie, Nina calls Jaina over and over and over again. And she doesn't reply or Jaina doesn't pick up. And then the final shot of the movie is Nina looks at her phone and she's getting a call and the caller ID says Jaina and that's the credits. And we don't know what happens after that. And that's the ambiguousness. Yeah, fuck ambiguousness. I think that works with some movies, but that doesn't work with a John Hughes movie. John Hughes is very straightforward. He ain't afraid of that bullshit. So my movie doesn't have that crap. All right. Well, I don't really have any questions, so uh, I'd like to hear you guys fight it out. Um, Joe, why don't you start us out, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, my thing with you said John Hughes doesn't fit horror. I don't know if I picture John Hughes directing a gay lover movie in the late '80s. It just doesn't feel like his thing. And then the obvious, and then your movie's super obvious of like, oh, it's like the nerdy kid and the jock, and they're gay, and they're yeah, kind of like the Breakfast Club and and Sixteen exactly. Candles, super and trophy all, and super obvious. All of the all of the care. other John Hughes movies that are. I should have Sixteen Candles, but I've never even seen that movie. I just couldn't think of the name, so I was mad at it. But The Breakfast <laughs> Club is great, and Tra- Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Automobiles is great. My movie's going to kind of combine Yeah, because the gay love of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles and Breakfast I mean, have you not seen Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? I have. There's definitely <laughs> some gay love going on in that movie that's behind <laughs> the scenes. there is. We're going all for it in my movie. And, and, and here's my thing. Look, John Hughes... He's a great director. He makes good watchable films. He'd he, make a great horror director. No, he wouldn't because he's never even shown interest in it. But you know what he's good at? Telling fucking high school stories, man. That's that's what most of his movies were, and they were all good. And and I and I, and I want him to make another one. So I, I'm sad that he only made eight films. I, I think The Breakfast Club is a treasure. I think Plain Street and Automobiles is 
I mean, it's easily the best Thanksgiving movie ever made. I don't know how much competition it has, but that movie's great. And the ending of that movie makes you tear up. So I kind of want to combine those things. I want the tropes of The Breakfast Club with the emotion of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles with the comedy of both. That's what my movie's going to have. And, and I'm more interested in it. Yours, Julia Roberts sucks. She's like the old Sandra Bullock. Okay, she's trash. All right? And um, and she sucks. And man, your twist, dude. Incest is not a twist. That's just a a real bad way to go. Uh, there's a wanna, Korean movie want, that would very know. disagree that incest is not a twist. Okay, yeah, that's fair. All right, didn't do the old <laughs> boy, but you know what? <laughs> old boy's good because that shit has mind control and 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 uh and, and I did it without mind control. It, right, your movie did it, but like, okay. I know we want to be sponsored on this show, Joe, and 23andMe basically just sponsors any podcast that mentions it. But 23andMe is only used to give the government your DNA. So it doesn't matter. 23andMe, no. we don't want that included in a movie. Your movie's not going to hold up. In five years when that company implodes, it doesn't exist anymore. Your movie doesn't hold up. I mean, My we can use an equivalent. We don't have to call it 23andMe. My movie's in the 80s. It's going to deal with AIDS. It's going to deal with a lot yeah. of things that were happening. Because movies that deal with relationships and love, like Weird Science, that your guy directed, definitely hold up. Oh, like 16 Candles and The Breakfast Club? Yeah, yeah. Those, those don't hold up. I feel up. like they everyone talks about how John Hughes' high school 80s movies don't hold up. Who the fuck says that? Yeah. Okay, they don't hold up now, but my movie comes out in 1987. Your movie doesn't hold up and it comes out this year. With Steven Soderbergh, who literally hasn't made a good movie in what, like 15 years? I'm shocked you didn't make a... His last good movie was was his last movie, which was Logan Lucky. Yeah, and there's a 0% chance that Steven Soderbergh, the safest director of all time, would make your movie. That dude makes Logan Lucky, and then all his like twists are, oh yeah, man, we planned this whole scam from the beginning. Your movie should have been on a fucking robbery, and then it, it has a little twist at the end that they planned it the whole time. Like, that's the only thing Steven Soderbergh is capable of in decent movies. Otherwise, he's making shitty Jason Statham crap movies. I don't know if that's true, but I feel yeah, like... That's definitely not wrong. true at all. I don't. And I feel like that's wrong. What the <laughs> fuck? He just made a shitty movie with someone, and it was so bad. Your dude's a bad director, man. He just is. Yeah, like, the guy that directed Oceans 11, Aaron which is extremely overrated, and that guy who did the Oceans movies, which one of them was good, the rest are trash, and then he did Logan Lucky, which was just a better version of Oceans 11. He has one thing. He has one thing he can do. It's Oceans movies. It's heist movies. Good for him. They're, they're fun. I'll watch even Oceans 12, which is trash, but it's good. Because it's entertaining. It's a good cable. No, he makes good movies. That one he doesn't good. make good movies. Your your guy is not making a movie. He makes movies, like, good movies about John Hughes could have made a good movie about gay lovers right. that were high okay, school. Okay, we're we're going in circles on arguing who makes good movies. Do you have okay? Like, one makes good movies. One makes bad or... movies. Argument ended. Secondly, <laughs> not argue. Whatever. Well, I don't. I, I pick guys that that are entertaining. You know. Okay, The Breakfast Club, but. The, the wrestler and the nerd are gay lovers secretly and they try to hide it from the school. I think that's an entertaining, it's a compelling story. I like mine. Yours sounds like shit. Yours sounds my movie like would shit. be super popular. You know why? No, Go it wouldn't be. Hub. 
Go home. Every single one. Stepsister, 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 stepsister. And you know Joe's, I'm telling the truth. Joe's, Joe's argument, except that's not stepsister. That's sister, sister, man. That's just that's it is what sister, it is. sister, except they're lovers. And Seth no Korn is super that. hot right now. I'm not in charge of it. Joe's defending his movie with the internet. porn. If you guys all right, all right. I dispute every decision ever made by you. Okay, so despite that, um, I think we're ready. Tristan, are you ready to make a call on this? Oh, or? so wait, 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 real quick. Okay, first of all, obviously the greatest lesbian love story ever told was um, The Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which got criticized a little bit because it stole a lot of the plot from Ingrid Bergman's original film. So that is why I wanted to make a movie completely different from those stories and Joe, even though he has that stupid twist in there, still so going to be made, like, oh, gay, now he made a, gay nerd and now a gay jack. After, Ooh, now he made jack, a third movie. He made a third movie that's ripping off the plot of very of two very similar movies. So, like, get your lesbian shit out of here. I'm sorry, I updated like, it for a modern audience. I updated it for an 80s audience, which at that time, gay people were handled by the guy that gave us weird movie. science. Okay. All right. I think we're good. Had a lot of game um, of course, <laughs> you know. Um, those those mutant zombies were definitely in love. So I'm a little bit more split on this one, so I'm going to let Tristan make the final How call on it. How you? Um, yeah, mine's clearly listen, better. Like, Joe's so, literally is a, like, Joe lit a piece of trash on fire, and then was like, <laughs> I'm going to just read this. So, Johnny, the reason uh, I don't, like, I, I think your movie would be, it would fall into good. the. Good like, it would be director. fine. It would be okay. It would be like a watchable it would movie. Be a good movie. Um, you know, it, it, it sounds. Johnny, quiet. Mute his mic. Mute, mute me, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Johnny's muted. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So. Johnny's just felt a little safe, I think, to me. Um, it's a little cliched, but it's it would be a good movie. Um, Joe's, I think, sounded like a pretty good movie. I don't love the twist, but the original did have a twist at the end, too. So it's kind of referencing that a little bit. Um, so I don't mind that. But honestly, I'm pretty 50-50, and I'm going to let Tristan make the final call. And Tristan is muted. Tristan when is Joe muted. gave his first... Uh... His first pitch, and he said, "Oh, the twist is that they were incest." <laughs> I, I was definitely turned off by that, but I'm, I don't know. I, I definitely leaning a little bit in both directions. It's a hard, hard call to make. I know Johnny's gonna hate me if I go towards the one that was inspired by, I don't know, Joe's browser history or whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what Joe revealed himself a lot. <laughs> Yeah, Shakespeare blows, bro. Yeah, we have more, yeah, more of Johnny I feel like I feel like this movie would have been groundbreaking if if John Hughes made it in the time that Johnny's predicting that he made it. And I think, but, but, all right, but mine's better, so I will. <laughs> yeah. Definitely, I I know I I want to give to Joe just to give points to the porn account, but I'm gonna have to go with. <laughs> With Johnny on this one. Yeah. All right. So what that means now is uh I should have fucking swept this. <laughs> you guys, god damn it. Joe's okay, this last one's gonna go a little awry probably, but I'm super happy that I won already. And Joe, I'm gonna fucking crush your soul on this next one, man. 
All right. So I, I don't have to learn how to read because holy shit, I'm a little drunk. And this thing's like a page long, so I'm gonna shorten it. I don't know how you have that long of a pitch for this movie, but we'll see. Um, You'd be surprised. Because I have one rule left, and it was a very hard rule for me. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And I I didn't go with fucking insects. All right. So who is is going first, Joe? You got to defend this to maybe uh, not have a repeater role. I want Johnny to be his peak drunkest when he reads. Okay. (laughs) Sounds good. All right, The Last Commandment from 1989 has a 46% on Rotten Tomatoes. The Last Commandment from director Mark L. Lester tells the story of covert assassin Kip, Jean-Claude Van Damme, who lives undercover with his family as a small-town preacher. When the military decides it needs to cut costs and tie up loose ends, they issue an order. All of their assassins and their families are now enemies of the state and to be killed on sight. Kip must take his family on the run, reconnecting with the underworld that has passed. Noteworthy for being one of Jean-Claude Van Damme's first leading roles, the Last Commandment faced many setbacks and budget cuts after originally being written as a sequel to Commando. All right, Joe, All right. let's hear your pitch. All right, so I'm going to start. My director, uh, David Leach, uh, co-director of John Wick. He directed Deadpool 2, directed uh, Fast and Furious, presents Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah, real My creative Kip, choice. Who cares? Kip is going to be played by Josh Brolin. His wife is going to be played by Isaac Gonzalez. I didn't direct or pick his, who are going to play You didn't direct kids. it? I didn't I'm pick who's gonna, <laughs> I didn't pick who's gonna play his kids. I figured it's just gonna be like some random no-name kids from a television show none of us watch. And the villain of the movie is gonna be a U.S. Navy sergeant played by Brad Pitt. So Kip, a former Navy SEAL who has retired from military duty, has retired to a small Texas town and works as a preacher. When his corrupt former boss becomes Secretary of Defense, he tries to order for Kip to be assassinated because he feels Kip knows too much sending Kip's former best friend, Brad Pitt, to do it. Kip must try to remember his old life to protect his wife and kids. However, he is severely unarmed and unprepared, so he has to see an old friend. And this is where my rule comes in, because his friend is Yuri Orlov, Nicolas Cage's arms dealer character from Lord of War. Kip buys enough guns and ammo to arm a small militia. The movie becomes a game of cat and mouse between Brad's, Brad Pitt's character and Josh Brolin's character. There's a showdown where Josh Brolin kills Brad Pitt, uh... And because uh, throughout the movie, Josh Brolin has to protect his family from Brad Pitt while also going after him. The movie ends with Kip exposing his former boss's corruption and him being arrested. And that no, it ends with him exposing himself to his brother. <laughs> <laughs> That's no, that yeah, that would be a for this one. All right, Johnny, what do we got? <laughs> Sorry, I had a coffee myself. All right. What I say about every good action movie, this should be a Korean film. So my movie is a Korean film. The best country at making movies, South Korea. Come at me, America. All right. My director, Byung Gil Jung. The, uh, he did uh, The Villainess, which is a really good movie, and Confession of a Murder, um, which no one has seen but me because I'm obsessed with Korean movies and I've seen a lot of them. But it basically that movie is about a um, serial killer who writes a book after his statute of limitations comes out. And it has a lot of twists and turns. And uh, uh, that's why my director uh, is good at twists, because he has directed two great movies with twists. So my lead character, I'm changing from Kip to Kim. He is going to be played by Lee Byung-hyun. 
from I Saw the Devil, and the, he was the bad in The Good, the Bad, the Weird. Great movie. Fucking recommend it. Anyone who uh, is capable of reading subtitle films, probably not because uh-huh. his brain is the size of a of an almond. Um, June Sun uh, is one of my characters. That's going to be played by Mong, Ma Dong Suk, who was in uh, Train to Busan and The Outlaws. He's one of Joe's favorite Korean actors, and he's a really great guy. Just a fucking good actor. And then my uh, only other person I did is Mr. Sue, who was in my pitch, and that's going to be played by Kim Young Chil, who was in A Bittersweet Life, another great uh, Korean movie, and he is currently in the Korean version of Criminal Minds, which is way better than the American version, so I recommend that to anyone who likes uh, Criminal Minds. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Johnny's never seen an episode. I've seen the whole show, so fuck mm. you, Joe. What okay. ca- what actor from Princess Bride is in Criminal Minds? I've never seen I meant of the Korean version. version. I meant Johnny's oh, never seen okay. the Korean version. I thought you meant that like he couldn't compare it because he's never seen the American version. No, I don't give a shit about the American version. It's trash. And it's Mandy Patinkin, bruh. Yeah. Okay, cool. Good for her. She should be in the Korean <laughs> version. Wow. <laughs> um <laughs> you'll make father prepare to die yeah oh that's a guy okay <laughs> okay fuck you guys i'm sorry right. i'll stop interrupting your pitch i'm gonna just read my page long pitch sorry guys but i'll i'll be passionate <clears throat> the movie begins with a family man named kim he is happily married with a young child who just started attending elementary school Kim and his wife live a normal life, but the family does not know of Kim's dangerous past. Got it for He was an assassin who worked for the Korean government, but was discharged after the program was disbanded. So the program was disbanded. Um, Kim is still haunted by his past and often awakes in cold sweat after having flashbacks of his past actions. One night, Kim wakes up uh, Kim wakes up in the middle of the night. He feels something cold and wet beneath him in his bed. He turns over in horror as he sees his wife and child dead and bleeding in the bed next to him. He's in complete shock. He calls the police but ends up being arrested as the police believe there was no forced entry into the house and the only person who could have committed these crimes is Kim. Kim is sent to prison where he meets his cellmate, Jun San. This man seems familiar to Kim. After questioning the new cellmate about his past, it is revealed they both worked in the same organization, um, and Jung Song believes he was also framed, and it must be a plot to get their former assassins off the street. Kim feels there is only one man who can be behind this because he is the only person who knew everyone in the program. His old boss, Mr. Su, the guy from the Korean Criminal Minds, which I've seen every episode of. Kim plans an escape from prison, which is successful, he goes on a hunt for Mr. Sue, finding old colleagues and, and anyone who has information. Kim finally finds out where his old boss lives, a large facility heavily protected and secured. The guards of a large facility are no match for the former assassin. He sneaks in and kills anyone in his way um, on his uh, uh, quest for vengeance. Kim soon finds Mr. Sue, who is shocked to see him and seems even scared. Kim pins down Sue. And before killing him, asked, how could you do this to my family? Mr. Sue seems blindsided. You don't remember, do you? You took everything from me. I let you become a monster, a killing machine. My entire organization was disbanded because you lost control, killing women and children. You would target that you were supposed to 
And you are not supposed to touch anyone else, says Mr. Sue. Kim is shocked and in disbelief. He says there is no manipulation and no games that will work on him. Mr. Sue says, I haven't reread this, so I'm just going to hope that this tells my story. Mr. Sue says, just let me live a little longer and I will show you. Kim agrees and is given old files. The files read that the program was shut down for the killings of innocent victims. Kim has a flashback of shooting a cry of a crying baby with no hesitation in front of a pleading mother before turning the gun to her. What did you put in my head? Pled Kim. I have not placed anything in your head. We, we trained our employees to bury very tough thoughts deep away in their minds so they do not feel any guilt. Kim is horrified. He closes his eyes and has a flashback. Jung Song was never seen by anyone else and it's revealed that he never existed to anyone besides Kim. He is standing over his bed with his wife and child in the next scene. He's holding a knife. He looks at his family with the test before murdering both of them. He lays down in the bed and goes to sleep. So my twist of my movie is that Kim is the murderer and he killed his own family after seeking vengeance uh, throughout the film. Um, and uh, that's that's my twist. It's way better than incest. So fuck you, Joe. Okay. Wasn't expecting that long of a pitch for that for that one, but uh, pretty intriguing. Um, I, I, I don't know. I'm I'm not surprised Johnny went Korean. I'll say that much. Yeah, that's um, the that's the least shocking twist Korean. of all. Yeah, the least shocking twist. I went <laughs> Korean. Uh, Tristan, do you have any do you have any questions for him? Really interesting pitches here. I, I'm I'm sure Johnny obviously was going to go Korean with this and make it like a <laughs> very Johnny pitch. I will say, uh, but right. just like the original Commando, this was sort of like a almost sequel. So there's a few leftover like good one liners and stuff like that. You know. Commando had great one-liners. So I wanted to see each of you, if you guys had one or two great one-liners in your movies, you can give them to us. Start with Joe on this. Oh, yeah, that's super easy. So Kip, my Josh Brolin guy, says uh, he drops the title of the movie. When he kills Brad Pitt, he says, this is the last commandment, and kills him. I like it. I like that. Johnny, I know yours is Korean. Because mine's a preacher. I don't know if you remember that from my movie. Mine's a preacher. So yeah, Johnny. Um, with with it being the last commandment, um, other than your one liner, how does that kind of tie into your pitch? I don't remember if yours is a preacher or not. Honestly, wait. Sorry, tell me that again. First, first, you can give your if you have a one liner that you can translate to English from yours. Okay, here's 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 my one liner. Because while this is an an American song, it is popular in other countries. Um, I'm sure it is. uh, Being a number one hit in Korea for years. Um, So Kim murders uh, one of the guards with a hanger and says, hanging in the moment. That's a life outside. (laughs) life outside. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my one-liner. A great life house reference. That's what the connection is. It's just you and me hanging by a moment. It's just you and me hanging by a moment. Hanging yep. by a moment I don't... with you. <laughs> that was the first thing I Hang thought Hang on so to all congrats. that we've been through. <laughs> Let's just go line by line. Wow. All right. Um, so my other question really quick for Johnny was just, um, it's called The Last Commandment. I don't remember if yours had a religious element in, in it. Can you just remind me if it did or not? Um, the Last Commandment is thou shall not steal anything from thy neighbor. Um, that's the Tenth Commandment. So... 
Um, yeah, I have them memorized, so fuck you guys. And um, uh, I didn't go to church as a kid, so yeah, I didn't either. Fuck that shit. So <laughs> my um, that might not be the last commandment. I wouldn't know. My my last commandment is that he stole the life of Mister Sugans. He ruined his dream program. So you know that's kind of the last thing um, in the movie. So instead of actually like saying it out loud, it's just like an acknowledgement of the 10th commandment, which is the last commandment. Okay, the last commandment right. is thou shalt not right. covet thy neighbor's goods, which I guess is the same. Is the yeah, which same, is, which which is what right. Johnny said, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and his goods right. was his program. Joe, right, nice guys. fucking use of the mute button, COVID. <laughs> okay, let's fade <laughs> it out. Yeah, Wait, Mike, did you have a question or did he already ask it? Mine was oh, the yeah, one-liner. It's a one-liner thing. Hang it by a moment, baby. <laughs> Great line. Yeah, okay. <laughs> And my thing against Johnny's is that it has nothing, like I brought this up before, but it has nothing to do with the original, really. Like, there's a spy organization, but outside of that, like, that's kind of it. That's totally not true, because what he believes from what turns out to be the fake assassin cellmate is that there is an order out to imprison all of the former assassins. So... While it ends up being a twist and that actually doesn't exist, I knocked over my microphone talking with my hands, but while while um, it doesn't actually exist, he believes that there is a um, some type of order or code to get rid of all of the people from this program. So it is very similar to the original in that because he believes that's what's happening and that's why he seeks his um, vengeance upon the people that he thinks created that and that's why his family is dead. But then it's obviously revealed that, you know, he killed his family. And that doesn't actually exist. So it does, you know, have ties to the original, but it is a way cooler version than JCVD's version and your version, yeah. which sucks. My version has Josh Scary Brolin, stats. who everyone loves, and Brad Pitt, who everyone also loves. This fact is disputed. <laughs> I don't think that's disputed. I mean, your movie is fine, but like, I'm not going to see it. I mean, you're I, telling I, me you're not going to see Thanos versus Lieutenant Aldo Rain? I'd watch that. I don't know. Your movie sounds like shit. Always. So does yours. Yours movie sounds like hot garbage. Except oh, you got a no... TV actor from uh, other countries' television. He's not a he's not a TV actor. He's in a lot of movies, but that's that's probably his most famous role because that show is on now. But I mean, he's fucking awesome in A Bittersweet Life, which you've never yeah, seen. Because Brad Pitt and, and Josh Brolin are not awesome in things. Yeah, they're great. They're gonna go do a fucking John Wick movie. Yeah, no, they're not. They're not gonna agree to this movie. They're not doing your shit. Brad Pitt did a cameo in Deadpool two for David Leach, and then Josh Brolin. Yeah, he did also... a, He did a little. He did a little cameo. Cool. He was invisible the whole movie. But like, I don't know your movie. I'm I'm not into it. I uh, I, I I want Keanu Reeves to be in there for your movie. I think that'd be better if Keanu Reeves was in it. And it's not. So he's already John Wick. We don't need him in more assassin. Movies. Here's my pitch. I mean, all American action movies suck, except because John Wick. For- Mine's directed by the co-director of John Wick. Why was John Wick 3 so good? You know why? Because it had the Korean actor. Or actually, sorry. They had Indonesian actors. But people from the raid nonetheless. And um, and, and foreign action films are so much better, man. They're just so much better. There's no holds barred. They don't have to you know factor in all the shit from your American movies and and they're just more fun and more entertaining. They're better for twists. I want to see a movie with a good twist and good action. And, and that's what, like, Confessions of a Murder had, which none of you have probably seen. But 
it's a really good movie. I'd rather watch Confessions of a Murder than John Wick, even though John Wick's fine. Like, I like that movie. It's pretty good, except for I think it suffers from the same problem, especially by the third one. I think it suffers, and I think your movie will suffer because you picked old dudes. The problem with those movies is that everything is so slowed down to make Keanu Reeves look cool and badass. And really, you're like, dude, this dude is moving so much faster than him. That's my biggest problem with those movies. And and, and I think that your movie will suffer from the same thing because Brad Pitt and Josh Brolin aren't like action stars. Like I picked dudes that actually have been in action movies. They've been in spy movies. They've been assassins in movies before. They can do action well. And I picked a director that can do that well. And I, I know you picked a director that can do action movies, but everything is so slowed down in his movies. And like, it's not like Deadpool had great action. Like that's known for its comedy. Like, you know, that's fine. But like, I don't know. I'm not going to go see Brad Pitt slowly hip toss people the whole movie. Like that sounds lame and boring and I'm not into it. My thing Honestly, is mine people has can Josh actually do martial arts. Mine has Josh Brolin, Brad Pitt, guys that can do good drama, good good actors. Because I feel like otherwise, if you don't have those good moments in between the actions, then your mo- mo- movie is basically just a stunt show. And I wanted to like my movie, which has a family show. dying and someone seeking vengeance for his super traumatic experience that has no drama. Yeah, my movie has fucking trauma, bro. You brought up yeah, old boy earlier. From your old actors. boy is a Korean movie. Yeah, you don't know my actors because you're an idiot. But like because your guy Devil, is right? on C- your guy's basically on a CBS show, but the Korean version. He's not the one doing the action. He is like the leader of the of the group who's just. No, he's your like, drama cool, guy. But... Your CBS show is your drama guy. I don't know what you think is in Korea, but first your of all, CSI or CBS Criminal Minds not... or whatever. Your Korean yeah, equivalent. Like, okay, criminal I know. Minds, I know you don't understand. Good acting is coming. I know from. you don't understand how IMDb works. Like that's been a problem with with Joe and I for a long time. He doesn't know how to look up actors, but like all I have to do is look him up. I mean, Kim Young, uh, Kim Young Chol is in a million movies. See a bittersweet life is incredible. It's an incredible movie. And he is the, like one of the stars of that movie with my lead actor. So they already have chemistry together. You're going to bring that same chemistry. So I've out. seen this before. Except it's way different. It's just two actors that have been in the same movie. Like, so fuck you. That's totally different. Josh Brolin, like, cool. He can kind of do action, but Josh Brolin literally cannot do action because the only action movies he's been in, he was CGI like Thanos, completely in you know CGI form, or he was in No Country for Old Men, and the one action scene in that movie that he should have been in was cut out completely, and it just cuts to yeah, he's dead now, like. I've never seen Josh Brolin be badass in a movie. Like Deadpool Deadpool 2, yeah, he's Cable, but, like, he's shooting. Oh, yeah, he's just just Cable is all, you know. He's just Cable. He's just Cable. I mean, he just wants to do superhero movies. He's not going to do your movie because it's not superheroes. And there's no incest, so (laughs) you probably don't even like your movie because you only like incest movies. So my my, my – I, I feel like we're just going to go back and forth yelling about (laughs) – Yeah, I don't know what the fuck – I'm just just saying – I was waiting for another valid argument. Um – I mean, my my. What argument do you want me to hear? What do you What do you want to hear, Bobby? What do you need to hear? What do you? I don't need to hear if you, you guys have any final he, points. I mean, I'm not That's saying it. he's lying. I'm not saying, but it's just like movies that I'm gonna assume the other three of us aren't familiar with. He could be like, "Oh, this guy won like a Korean Oscar," and we'd all be like, "I don't know, sure, maybe, whatever." 
yeah, well, you guys should fucking expand your goddamn experiences and watch some good movies. Like, Joe, every time there's any action movie, it's just like, no, let's just pick the guy who did John Wick. And he didn't even pick the right one. Because he didn't even pick the good John Wick director. He picked the other guy. So, like, fuck your movie. Your movie's trash. Your movie's trash. My movie's great. It's Korean. I don't think it's it's great. I mean, it's Korean, so it's good. And it has a twist. It's like, basically, I made Old Boy, and Joe was like, what if I made a pile of shit? <laughs> what if you made the worst okay. Korean movie ever? Right. Maybe that's what you I think. Think, I think the worst Korean movie is yeah, not- better than all American movies. I don't think that's accurate. <laughs> hold, hold on, hold on. This fact is <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Now, um, <laughs> I think for this one, they're, they both sound good, except sound, they both they both just sound okay to me. Yeah, Joe um, picked the shitty guy who did, um, sorry, Escape Plan. Um, but I picked a director who made really, really good. I, I like movies. David Leach. That's fine. But um, yeah, Tom McBlond, so, that was a fucking huge hit. Uh, so for, for Johnny's, I just feel like one, the twist. Um, I've seen that similarly before. It sounds like I mean I know you like you love the Korean movies. Yeah, no shit, Bobby. Have you ever written a fucking twist? Everything is from other movies, right? It's but it's it just sounds like it didn't didn't pull me away. And John has never written a whole movie before. No shit. It sounds like a very predictable pitch for you. It's not predictable, but it's but it sounds all right. Joe's again, yeah. We tend to pick David Leach a lot um, for a lot of these movies. So, but I love, I really do like the casting of um, Josh Brolin and Brad Pitt. Um, So, just just for that, I think I'd be leaning towards Joe. Uh, But Tristan, I'll let you make the call on this one. Bro, I know what the last commandment was. I'm kind of split. I mean, I think that. Joe does take in that like original idea of like oh the preacher who's in like the title of the last command. Oh yeah, that was my other thing on Johnny's. Johnny's. Sorry, yeah, that was the other thing that that you kind of took out the whole point of the title to me. I I didn't I didn't love that justification. Oh, except except for the justification I gave it. Your justification was pretty weak. I didn't I didn't love. No one doesn't even know what the last commandment means. And the first movie didn't have shit to do with the commandments. It was just a bad title. So fuck you. He was a preacher. Yeah. He was a preacher. All right. My guy was a preacher. Boom. Pitch change. <laughs> all right, too late. Tristan Not too late. He was a preacher <laughs> and he had a family, and then he killed them all. Johnny sounds like Wait. it would be a good, good movie, but I just don't know if I would see it. <laughs> I think Joe's just fits a little I'm bit more with the premise. Man. And I would love to see Brad Pitt and Josh Brolin play the same this kind of role like retired action heroes, which I think would fit them pretty well. So yeah, I'm so fun. Begrudgingly, with a close call, going to give this last point to Joe. Congrats, Joe! You lost. I don't give a shit. No repeater rule. No extra shit. It don't matter. Four to three. I'll take it. Joe, I was tempted right. to give him the repeater rule. Just you lost. Yeah, no, that was that was close, but yeah. Well, good I luck, agree. Tristan. I You're facing this one. buzzsaw next week. So. Yeah, I can't wait I'm, to I'm have him finally I'm lose. We Tristan's goddamn soul. Yeah, we have had lots of live chats um, and comments from Cole. Hey, fuck you, Cole. 
it's hard to get through them all. So like he's posted, you know, I won't post his actual criticism of Johnny. It's hard when there are pages of them. So it's kind of hard to find them. Yeah. Cole, yeah. learn how to fucking make a comment, um, bro. You can't even do that. The simplest task. But, make sure you come by next week and help me roast Johnny. But then he also said that I would be the star in all of his movie pitches, uh, which is actually probably a terrible decision because I am not. That's, actor, yeah. He but, would lose you know, so fast. <laughs> I'll that. take it. Dude, Bob, this motherfucker Bobby it. can't act. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give it a shot, but I would be terrible. Um, so yeah, no, I think this was a really fun episode to me. But hey, I, I was avoiding. debating. I was debating on learning Korean just for my last pitch. Oh, if I had done that, would that have changed your mind? I if, you would, if, if I you gave a one-liner, if you gave a one-liner that made Dude, sense, my one-liner was in, so good. In Korean. in Korean. I said in Korean. That's where I was going with that. If you were able yeah, to give well, us a one-liner in Korean, that would be I didn't have to improvise hanging my <laughs> moment. I would have learned it in Korean. You should have wrote ahead. You know the movie has one-liners. You should have been like, well, I need to have one-liners in this pitch. Here's my acting, apparently. <laughs> no, Cole, Cole, Cole. Get on this show or shut your fucking mouth. Yeah, well, I've been cool. trying to get you on. I've been trying to face him, and this little bitch won't come on. It would so, be like, fun to get some new people on here, but... yeah. Um, yeah, Cole's probably never even seen any of these movies because he's a little bitch. So Check my, out Hot Love. Yeah, just to get to the, um, to wrap this up a little bit, my favorite pitch, I think, of the entire night was Johnny's 27 Club. Um, I think that was really well thought out. Uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time on that. Yeah, that, that was really, really good. Um, and uh, I did like – I liked um, – Joe's Heart of England a lot. I think that fit in his Nolan pitch a little better that's than Johnny's. So sweet. that's kind of that's where I was thinking on those ones. But Tristan, what were your favorite pitches? Yeah, I really liked uh, Joe's or Johnny's Twenty Seven Club. I think uh, you brought that really in like the core heart of what that movie can go for, and just did like the best possible version of that premise. I feel like, dude, I want that movie to be made. Let's all make that movie. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, Kickstarter. <laughs> Yeah, twenty seven. Yeah, with our eighteen viewers from last episode, we'll get a good kickstart. I appreciate oh, that Joe that. used some right. rules very creatively, though. I think it's good to put John Hughes in a horror movie what? and try that out and stuff like that. And I think I do give points to my head for creative rule usage. So I want to give him a shout out on some of those. I think that John oh, Hughes yeah. and the Woodsman was a good choice. I know how to take a lot of risks for this episode to go against. Johnny. I thought twenty one or uh, twenty seven club had a really interesting. Uh, controversial take with Joe. So <laughs> he tried. <laughs> I feel like a little, little bit of tweaking, and he would have had a good, great one with that. Yeah. Good episode, though. I had a, a lot yeah. of really interesting pitches. All right, Johnny, if you can do it, what was your favorite pitch of Joe's? If you can be, I have no favorite pitch of Joe. I can't compliment him. All his pitches sucked. I should have <laughs> swept him. Like, okay, I, I, I can't believe that he won any of these. Honestly, like that's my thing. When you guys act me favorite, and I'm not the judge, don't know. Don't know. They all sucked. All right, Joe. My, my favorite pitch was my 27 club pitch and my hot love pitch. Hot love was a good one. Prince for Those hot were love. amazing. Yeah, that was good. Wu-Tang Clan is better than Prince. How fucking dare you? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, that, this same is just – Prince is the greatest artist of all time. Fucking when when doves cry is literally the best song ever made, and you're gonna come at me, uh, Wu-Tang Clan, who's not even the best rap group ever. You fucking piece of shit. Yeah, this is why all Joe's pitches suck. 
Don't ask me what his favorite pitch was. This motherfucker tried to make John Hughes right. a horror movie. Idiot. And you made a gay love John Hughes movie, which would probably be very, very much canceled by 2020. <laughs> <laughs> And I muted Johnny. Um, and so, I won, so fuck you. <laughs> Sorry, I said it louder. Yeah, there you go. I'm mute. Oh, All God. right. Um, this was, a, I think, this is a really fun episode. Uh, if anyone has any closing words or anything they're watching, they can point it out, and then we'll say goodbye to everyone. Hey, watch Confessions me. of a Murder. Watch uh, Miss Vengeance. Watch a lot of Korean movies. That shit's so dope, man. I watched Memories of Murder the other night. That movie is fantastic. Bong Joon-ho. Greatest director alive. Um, like, not close either. Like, man, all his movies are so good. If anyone who doesn't know who Bong Joon-ho is, he made Parasite. Um, but go through his filmography. Like, you can't go wrong. That's that's my thing. Also, it, uh, not that Apple needs any promotions, and I'm not really giving it to him, but Apple TV, it has some good shows on there. So Defending Jacob is really good. The Morning Show is what uh, I'm watching with my fiance right now, and that show is great. Um, so download Apple TV if you don't have it. All right. Uh, Tristan, do you have anything? Oh, yeah. Thanks for watching, guys. It's a great episode. Uh, my plug is check out some of these movies. I think you guys – Hot Love is a, is a crazy one. you got to be in this right mindset to check out Hot Love, I think. But It'd be better if you're there for it. Yeah, if you're there for it, go for it. Also, check out Mermaid, Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy. It's kind of a bizarre otherworld take. You know, we mentioned they got sued for not using the characters. They, they didn't have the rights for the characters. So if you want to watch some crazy uh, behind-the-scenes shenanigans, I can't believe like a really I lost that movie. one. All right. Uh, <laughs> Mermaid Man Barnacle Boy. Joe, do you have yeah, anything? So my thing is I, I pulled out this case. It has Dracula, has Frankenstein, has Bride of Frankenstein, has Creature from the Black Lagoon. It needs the Woodsman. The Woodsman is better than all of these movies combined. False. It should have The Woodsman on here. Watch The Woodsman. It's great. It's on Amazon Prime. You can run it for like 45 bucks. Check it out. It's worth it. It's like an hour and five minutes long. All right. Sounds good. And I think next week we're going to do uh, another Forgotten ep- forgotten Movies episode. Uh, I think we're having Johnny face Tristan this time. So I think uh, that'll be fun. I don't think you guys have gone against each other before. This will be the first time, and okay. So every time I'm judge, I feel like I really like Tristan's pitches, but I'm gonna shit all over you next week, Tristan. <laughs> Get fucking ready for it. All right, well, I, might, I might, I might, I'm not gonna say I will, but I might be able to say a favorite pitch next week <laughs> if uh, Tristan has a decent one, which Joe didn't today, not even one. Okay. I'm really excited to take Johnny down. You know, he's gotten so confident in all these wins in a row, and now it's time that they can lose. You know, I'm gonna get a repeater rule. I'm calling it now. I lost one. I lost. I lost one show, and it was because it was the first episode, and we literally Bobby made three decisions before we could argue our points. Yeah, we started ten movies at two hours. Once we started arguing our points, I won basically every pitch. So. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to that showdown next week. I hope you guys come back and join us, even you, Cole and Paul, who are. Uh, Fuck you, you know, Cole. I know Johnny doesn't like you, but I, I, come back, Cole, I, I, appreciate, I appreciate all the comments. Uh, Cole, get on the show or go fuck yourself. We'll see you next time. <laughs>